Krejci with a steal, right point, goes across the ice to Grizzlick, across right circle, it's fired, they score! Brad Marchand from the far circle, whistles in a one-timer, 39 seconds into overtime, and the Boston Bruins victorious 4-3 in OT to tie the series at one. Shen overskated it. Landeskog dives to make a play. He does. McKinnon has it. He's got a breakaway in an open net. Bullseye! Two goals for Nathan McKinnon on the night. And that's the exclamation point. So one thing that stands out to you about those highlights that we just played. They look like full buildings. I know they say, would you say 7,000, 12,000? They look like they've got like 20 in them. The crowd noise it, behind the calls. It's it looks. Yeah, it, it, it looks, it looks fun to go to a sporting <laughs> event and go to a hockey game. I don't know. Like what, what is happening? I can't play tennis, but they're all down there at a hockey game. I'm just like. This is you're just you're just standing so unfair. You're standing <laughs> by a tennis court, twirling your racket, going yes. tennis anyone? And yes. nobody nobody's <laughs> saying a word. No tennis for you. Yeah. <laughs> just call me Milos. Yes, um, so. <laughs> another game for the, the Milos. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's great. It's I, I another, you know, three exciting games last night. Uh, Boston Washington game was awesome. Another OT game there, Carolina. Like I said, I played in Carolina for a handful of years. The fans are crazy in there. When we went in there in 2009 with the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, conference finals, it was the loudest. I think it was conference finals. I'm not sure if it was the, the second round or third round, but uh, went into play into the hurricanes and it was the loudest building I had ever been in. Uh, I wasn't playing. I didn't, I didn't play in the, in, in that series or the playoffs for that matter, but Carolina, that building in Raleigh, everybody has a Jersey on tickets are not expensive. They tailgate in the morning. Like you go to the, you go to the rink at eight 30 in the morning. They're out there with the table set up with their cars out. It's a crazy atmosphere. They love, they just love hockey. It's like, it's, it's just like it, you watch football and you, and you, you know, I played in Phoenix as well. Well, you, you see what happens there with NF with NFL teams around the league. Uh, fans love it. We know what happens in Buffalo, the tailgating, right? Well, in Carolina, they do the same thing. It's exactly the same as a, as a football game. Um, and obviously they love their college football there and their college sports. It's a, it's a, the, it's massive down there, right? NC state Duke, um, North Carolina, North Carolina. Yeah. So yeah, it's, Wake it's Forest. just awesome. And you, yeah. yeah, Wake Forest as well, but you just go down there and it's, it's, it's awesome. You watching the game yesterday and whatever it was, 12,000 it, I don't know. It, it has to add, like, I feel bad. I'm going to feel bad for Edmonton, Winnipeg, 
and Toronto, Montreal. No fans in the building. I, I'm, and it's going to be, I'm telling you, wait till tomorrow and Thursday. You're going to see the difference after watching all the games that have been played so far, what it's like. And it's, it changes it. It changes the experience watching it on TV. And it really changes it for the players on the ice. I've, I've kind of kept quiet about it all year. I just didn't want to complain because I was happy that we had hockey playing again. But I'm sorry. It's it's brutal playing without fans. It's tough for the guys on the ice. It's it's tough to call the games as a broadcaster. It's yet fake noise being pumped in. And the guys on the ice. It's just another thing where y- you get you're used to it. You're playing your you're, even as a kid. You, you, you have more players there when you're nine years old playing in Chesswood arenas in Westwood in Toronto than, than you would in a game right now. And it, the whole dynamic energy in the building, like I, I, I had a buddy, I I'm, I'm rambling on right now, but I had a buddy that says, what's so he's like, do you believe in energy? And I'm like, you know, this was, I was in my mid twenties. I'm like, sure. Like I go to yoga sometimes he's like, no, like energy from one person to another situation. I'm like I I don't know I'm 25 I don't I don't think about that stuff. He's like, well, wh- what's the difference between playing in the road and playing at home? And I said, on the road, it's a hundred times harder. And he goes, why is the ice different? Are the boards a different size? Is it a different game? I'm like, no, everything's the same. He goes, well, then what's different? You just said it's a it's a it's so much harder. And I said, I don't know, like that. It's just harder. That's I don't know. I have no. I, I, I have to work twice as hard to get anywhere on around the ice. I have to, it's tougher to mentally get ready for the game. I just not, the surroundings are different. He says, do you think it has anything to do with 20,000 people either cheering for you or against you? And I, I never really thought of it until then, but when you watch these games, it, the energy plays a big part of it. And it's exciting to have fans back in the building. And it, I, I, like I said, I didn't want to complain about it all year. I feel like a lot of people talk about it. A lot of people complain, but, and we didn't really do that, but now we are because we get to see, you know, what, what full buildings are like. Well, and they announced a little more than 5,300 in Washington. So that's for now. And two, you could tell a little bit. Games. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you could tell there, there was less fans there. Washington was another crazy place. In 2009, had to go through Ovechkin and the Caps. That was absolutely bananas. And you got to remember, I'm watching the game from press boxes. So depending on where the press box is, like some places, it's way up top. You kind of know it's loud in there, but you don't. I think in Washington, the press box or um, the the boxes where we watch the game from were kind of halfway up. And we, I think I sat in the only... Sometimes Mario, if the box is big enough, in, in Burkle, we would sit... Uh, the extras we Mario would bring us into the owner's box, and so we wouldn't have to watch. So you're the right Raptors. in. You're right in. Yeah. Well, Washington those they have it, get right out into the concourse more yeah, or less. Yeah, right? it's you're it's crazy. It's crazy in whatever it's Verizon Wireless Center or whatever it's called now. But yeah, they're kind of halfway up, like like uh, Scotiabank, and you kind of Washington's boxes are one of the best in the league because it's kind of like you feel like you're on the ice. Nothing against Scotiabank. Scotiabank's boxes are are amazing too, but the though I just remember going into Washington and watching the, and everybody wears red and it was absolutely bananas. Um and that was 2009. But yeah, they have they have 5,000 people there, so you can kind of tell that there's there's not as bad. I I just I'd prefer fans were against the glass, right? 
Uh, I'm trying to think what Florida was like. I'm, I'm pretty sure for the most part, they keep you away from the ice, right? All the fans, they buffer like the first 15 That's right. rows. Yep. And that makes the difference. You want fans next to the glass. So I, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm happy there. I'm happy fans are allowed in. They're doing it in a safe way. Vaccinations are out there for the most part outside of Florida game. Everyone's masked up. <laughs> I mean, the Florida game. I don't think anybody was. No. I didn't see it's many Florida, masks, so. dude. Well, Florida. I mean, what do you? I mean, well, like, what would you like? That, that's what I was thinking about. I'm thinking of myself as a fan more than a player when I'm watching those games. Saying, "Well, I want in on that. I want to go and watch a game." But then you're like, "What would you do? Would you put a mask on still if you went to a game like like right now? If we were in Sunrise." And we were going to go to the Panthers lightning game. And we were like, okay, I got two tickets. You want to go and see the game tonight? Are you throwing a mask I feel, on? I feel like, I feel like if my aunt's it, it's either one or the other. Like if you, if you are comfortable enough to go out to a hockey game, you probably aren't as concerned about wearing a mask. If you're not comfortable going to a hockey game, you probably are walking around with a mask on because the mask protects others more than it protects you right mm -hmm. yeah. so so if others aren't wearing masks and i am concerned that i might come in contact with somebody who has covid then i'm probably going to avoid the scene to begin with but just yeah. watching watching these games through the tv man like it's and the hockey has been really really good i'm you got the Leafs and the Habs starting on Thursday night. You got the Oilers and the Jets starting tomorrow night. Like the the North Division, the Canadian Division, it's it's got to keep up here in terms of quality of hockey. And I, I know yeah. you say that the buildings are going to be empty and the dynamic is going to be different, but these games, for the most part, for the most part, have been close. We've gotten a ton of overtime games, four overtime games out of the first seven playoff games that have been played. And it's it's high quality stuff, and some guys who were effectively on the scrap heap have stepped up and contributed. Taylor Hall, Hall had a huge night last night for the Bruins, scoring the game tying goal late, uh, and he was all over the ice all night long. Pretty much, it was like that goal was was fate, right? He'd had he'd had some opportunities leading up to that moment. So, yeah, guys are guys are in the groove. Uh, it's been entertaining these Stanley Cup playoffs so far, and there's more to come, and and it's good, good stuff, and the atmospheres add to it. There's no question about it. Yeah, well, the Taylor Hall, yeah, he he's been good for them first couple, and every time he scores a goal, my phone dings and says I get a message from one of my one of my buddies. Um, I wanted to throw the idiot in there, but I'll just say buddies. Um, Sorry, and what? Just, <laughs> no, no, no. This isn't just Ben Ackerton. One of my this isn't Ben Ackerton. No, no not Ben Ackerton, but okay. it's just like, told you, should have got Taylor Hall. It's just like, gosh, oh, right. just leave no, me alone, Simon honestly. Vic. That's Silent yeah. Vic. Oh, that's Silent that's Vic. A... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's Silent Vic on his yeah. burner shooting you. Yeah. yeah, sending me messages. I just, well... He's a good player off the rush. We all know that and how dangerous he is. I don't think the Leafs needed another rush player, offensive threat. They have enough of them. Um, and he scores his goal going to the front of the net last night. Like that's, 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 you know, they, they tie it up late because 
He's going to the places on the ice that are not easy to get to. And I know it was a bit of a scramble in front of the net. I wouldn't have challenged that if I'm Laviolette, if I'm Washington. Um, you just, you, you don't, you don't want to put them on the power play with a couple minutes to go either, right? I didn't think it was goaler. And I like, there was a couple different ways you could have called it, right? You, like goaltender interference. It was a scramble in front of the net. But yeah, Taylor Hall is, is doing things since he got to Boston that, he's not usually known for um, he's playing the game a lot more. He's a lot more physical out there. Like I said, he's going to the front of the net. He's figuring out how to, he's figuring out what the, how, how the Bruins play and what makes them successful. Like I bet you, if you asked Taylor Hall, he would tell you right now, just from watching the perfection line, watching the way, Cassidy has this team playing and what he's done there and the culture, even though Chara is not there anymore and that Bergeron's kind of carrying the torch is that they play the game a different way. And I know we have Angel Raycroft on a lot, or he usually comes on every week, every couple weeks, Razor, and he talks about it a lot. And I, you notice it watching as, even as a fan, they play the game a certain way when the playoffs come, Everything gets elevated. And I bet you if you ask Taylor Hall, he'll tell you he's learned probably as much in, I, oh, since he got traded to the Bruins. I don't even pull up how many games he would he play, 15 games of them to fit, close the season out. To the rest of the regular season that he played and now through a couple games in the playoffs, I bet you he's learned as much in the time there on how to be a winner than he has his whole career. It's I'm telling you what the, that what they have in Boston is special. And that was a big kind of come from behind win. Um, but it was tight throughout it. It was, you know, they, they don't want to, you know, they, they don't want to fall. Down. They, they know if they fall down. Oh, two in that series, the chances of them coming back are, are slim to none against this Cavs team. But yeah, Taylor hall, Taylor Hall was excellent, but I think the perfection line was awesome. Marshan with the OT winner, uh, Washington had a, I thought it was a bad change on Washington's behalf. And then, you know, they're kind of trying to defend in their own end and just D man got tied up. They only have one forward on the ice. Wilson was coming back in late. Ovechkin was just stepped on the ice and it was, uh, it was a great play by, by Grizzly to, um, to find Marchand, but Krejci on the boards, a little bit of patience as well. Yeah. Like there was a lot of good goals last night. The Bergeron goal um, from Pasternak kind of batting the puck out of the air. Just the Bruins. They just, they, they, they know what the situation calls for. And I don't even think like, aside from the coaching and the systems and the culture, the players have an understanding of what the game calls for. Like, like Pasternak doesn't just bat a puck and work hard. Like everybody works hard. The Bruins just work smart. They don't throw pucks away when they're in the boards. They have patience. They get to the slot. Marchand on the Bergeron goal. Most goal scorers in that situation try to get open for Pasternak. Marchand doesn't do that on the Bergeron goal. He goes to the net and pushes everybody back. There are all these like small little things on the ice that, that make them winners. And that's why I think what Hall has seen in the Bruins, we might see a whole new player like this. This might be the perfect situation for a guy like that. And, you know, we always keep talking, where's Taylor Hall going to go next year? 
And so far, it looks like a good fit there. Yeah, some guys are just fits in certain places. And and Boston seems to be that for him. Uh, Carey Price and Brendan Gallagher were in the Laval Rocket Toronto Marlies game last night. So as we thought he would, Carey Price played uh, two periods. He allowed two goals on 15 shots. Brendan Gallagher took a couple of penalties. He had a couple of shots on goal, was a minus one if you worry about that stat. And uh, that's it. Now these two guys are are going to be ready to go, apparently, in, in game number one. And I was seeing all, oh, Carey Price. Carey Price has allowed a goal to somebody named Bobby McMahon. Like, Leafs fans are just all over this situation. Did you just love the fact that they're playing the Marley? Like, if you're a Marley's player in that game... I'm not kidding. If this is 20 years ago when I broke into the league, when guys were really, okay, I know there's still tough players now in the minors, but let me tell you about 20 years ago going out there, you'd have three guys that couldn't skate on every team. There were no visors. Like no one had a visor on nothing. I broke into pro at 20 in 2001. I didn't wear a visor and I didn't wear a mouth guard. And now it's like mandatory mouth guards and visors. I think, um, and it was tough. Are you just not thinking, okay, I'm, I get a chance to play against price. You know, maybe you're a call up and you want to make a name for yourself. Just like steamroll price. Oh God. Take three. Could yeah, you imagine? Take, take the, take this, take the suspension. Even like a guy like Gallagher out there. Like it's one thing to be a goaltender and go down for conditioning. I don't think I played against many players though. Like I, I can't remember. I think I played seven, six or 700 games in the minors. I don't think I remember too many players that went down for conditioning that I would play against or play with just because it's dangerous. Like I'll tell you the years I played in the minors after playing in the NHL or when I was sent down, like you, you literally had a bullseye in your back and you had to be careful out there because you had some guy coming up from the East coast hockey league, trying to make a name for themselves and they don't care if they take us take two games on a guy to make a name and keep yourself from going back down to the East Coast. Oh yeah. So Gallagher, I was just like, I was a little surprised him going down for a game, but it's at home. You know, it's I I I, I, I you don't think anything's gonna happen because the game has changed a lot in 20 years, but it just is like in the back of my mind. I wonder if somebody takes a liberty on Gallagher or runs price. I know price got kind of tangled up with someone behind the net when he played. I I, I didn't see the name, but uh, just from uh, watching the highlights, I didn't see, uh, you know, I got kind of tangled up behind the game, but I was always wondering, like, does a guy, you, you have know, to, you have to price? not, you have to not care though. Like you, you have to know you're not going to be an NHL or to engage in any of that stuff. Right. So yeah, but, that's, that, but, that, that, that's, but that's, but that's how I, I'm telling you right now, coaches, you, they love it. I'm telling you. Like if a guy is coming up from the East coast, the thing is you can't take penalties. Like you can't put your team on, like you don't want to take a five minute major in those situations. That's the, there's like a fine line. You want to play hard. Um, and if you're going to take a penalty, you literally want to get suspended. That's pretty much what you get want to do in those worth. situations. But yeah, but the game, the game's changed. Like it was, I, I mean, no one went after Gallagher. No one, try to get in price's face like uh, you just you don't see that anymore yeah they're they're there for their little well in carry price's case two period 
warm up. It was no different than Freddie Anderson, right on loan to the Marlins. Yeah. Played a yeah. game and a half late last it's week just or whatever. Stra- it it's was. just it's just strange because it's like. Yeah. It's a couple days before game one, and both of those could players you, are supposed Could you imagine the outcry? Could you imagine the outcry? Habs fans, if Carey Price got hurt at the hands of a Toronto Marley. Yeah, I, I, it would be. The fix is in. The Leafs put the guy up to this. He's trying to impress upper management, blah, 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 blah. Would have yeah, added a little spice to the start of this series. Uh, I was just shocked there. I was I was surprised Gallagher went in. I was surprised both of them went in, but especially Gallagher. They're playing in a couple nights. I don't. I. I don't know. I. Maybe I'm alone on the on that one. But I'm. I was just. Why would you play in a game trying to get ready or play half a game? Like Price was a was what only supposed to play a period, and then it went to half a game, and then it went long, went yeah, stretched up, out, right? Yeah, ended up essentially two full periods. He he was yeah. t- twenty two seconds short of a full forty minutes because there was a delayed penalty that he skipped off the ice for for you know twenty plus seconds or whatever it was. But yeah, I mean, the, the, like the Leafs, Riley Nash is in a not dissimilar situation. Right to, to Brendan Gallagher, except he, you know, he's he's going to probably play. in a worse probably right. in a worse he, off he spot. Hasn't, he really hasn't played at all. Yeah, in yeah. in the last six or seven weeks or whatever it's been, and 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 so he's going to jump right into things. And I don't know what you get from X number of minutes out there on the ice in in just one game on loan to the minor leagues, and then you you come back up and you're right into playoff action. This is it's also like this isn't a Nash Thursday. Is lost. Yeah, this is his last two games were April third and fourth. So, okay, so it's been, uh, it's been a while. Yeah, yeah, and like this isn't a Thursday night in the middle of January that, that Riley Nash is coming back into, or Brendan Gallagher, yeah. for that matter, right? That the intensity is is going to be high. It's 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 going to be big time. This is this is exciting stuff. I, I I know we can sit here and and clamor for fans in the stands, and I do believe Ziggy that we're on our way in Canada to to getting that back. I, I don't know if we're going to get it back in time for the Stanley cup playoffs this year at any point, but I, I have a feeling that by next fall at the very latest, we will be able to ha- get some butts in the, yeah, in hopefully the seats, everything's right? back to normal after the playoffs are done this year. So the vaccine, all, the yeah. vaccine rollout is is ramping up pretty significantly in this province for sure, and it'll it'll be nice. And and it's funny, like you were talking earlier about fans in the stands and the atmosphere. If if any of those teams, and there were different numbers of people, right, fifty three hundred or so in Washington, twelve thousand in Carolina. If any of those teams drew that number in normal times to a playoff game, we'd be all over their fan bases for not caring, obviously, right? <laughs> but here we are in a world that's been so adjusted. It's been a year and a half since anybody, or almost a year and a half since anybody's been to a game. Can you believe the atmosphere that 5,400 friggin' people can, can, can bring to a hockey game? Like, get it in my veins, baby. <laughs> but... I mean, it's it's crazy how our perspectives have have changed. Uh, Kevin Barker will come on uh, for the full half hour at seven thirty. Blue Jays kick off a big, big series tonight, three game set with the Red Sox down in Dunedin, and a pair of ace left-handers will go. Hyunjin Ryu for the Blue Jays, Eduardo 
Rodriguez for Boston. So it'll be your chance for a half an hour to bark at Barker. The phone lines will be open. I'll throw them out a little bit later on. The text lines are always open. Text us to 590-590, baseball, hockey, you name it. Kevin Barker for the full half hour at 730. And we will bring up the Blue Jays' bullpen situation. Is it finally starting to teeter with all of the injuries that this team has has faced? There were some scary moments in the Philadelphia series, and I'm more than willing and hoping that I am proven wrong on this. But But I feel like there's a significant vulnerability in close games late right now as the Blue Jays move into a seven-game run, three against Boston, four against Tampa Bay, uh, a significant divisional run here uh, for the next week. That pitching staff has, has, has suffered so much attrition. We're all over the hockey. You know this. Bruce Boudreau, a former NHL head coach, former Maple Leaf, uh, will be along at the top of the 8 o'clock hour. And we're talking fans today. So I, very quickly, we'll come back on the other side and get into this more. Have you had any texts yet with your Habs? pals is that uh, it hasn't been it has it's not too bad yet i think all my habs friends right now are very quiet because they know it's not looking good like they're not they're not impressed with where their team is at and how good the leafs have looked this year if they were confident like if they score the first goal on thursday or if somehow the canadians win the first game it, I am. I will literally have to turn my phone off. But so far, it's been very quiet on that front. Who's the Habs fan in your life who is insufferable? We will talk about that. You can text us to 590-590. You can name names if you want. You don't have to. You can just tell us what makes them so insufferable. And I threw one out on Twitter yesterday. Here, I'm, I'm going to try and read this as clearly as I can because it did get a little convoluted, but I got a lot of great responses. So from a Leafs fan's perspective, I want you to tell us your favorite Montreal Canadiens player who's never played for the Leafs. And if you're a Habs fan, I want you to tell us your favorite Toronto Maple Leafs player who's never played for the Habs. So you can't say Doug Gilmore because he played for both. You can't say Kirk Muller because he played for both. Vinny Domfus played for both. Thomas Caberle played for both. Gary Lehman played for both. I don't want Leafs or Habs fans hedging saying, well, I like Doug Gilmore because, uh, well, he was a Leaf. Even though he played for the Habs and I hated that, he was a Leaf. No, I want, I want to see if there's any modicum of respect out there between the two fan bases. Leafs fans, give me a Habs player you love or begrudgingly respect in spite of the fact he plays for the Habs, can be current, can be former, and vice versa. Habs fans, name a Leafs player that you have loved or respected. I will throw one out there. Ziggy, you come up with one as well. Right. We'll do it next. Lead off with Ziggy and Scotty Mack on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Dan in Georgetown, I haven't heard from any of my Habs fan friends because I don't hang out with losers. Oh, what a loser! Here we go. He's trying to bridge the gap between both sides. Can't get any cooperation on them. Uh, Doug in Brantford, regarding insufferable Habs fans, the only correct answer is all of them. 
But you got it in your family, right? We got a lot of Habs fans here in in House Zigamanis. I want to say, yeah, I want to say Zigamanis, but it's like none none of these Zigamanises. It's like not extended family. It's immediate. I like. What do you consider your cousins' immediate family? No, is that that's immediate? Well, I think are immediate. You, are you family, brothers and sisters? Yeah, I think immediate family is the house you grew up in. But yeah, first you know I mean? first like, cousins or what do you call that? Like just family? Like how? It's family. Like, it's close family. Yeah. Your cousins. I'm not talking about some fifth cousin that I can't even trace You're not back talking about me. that person you see at the family reunion every 24 years? Yeah. Well. The person I, who well, rolls I, up in the trailer and is never sober? Well, you got to remember, I, I moved out at 16, so I never saw any family. I wasn't there for any family events. I, I'd come home for Christmas, obviously, every once in a while, but... I missed all the family functions and celebrations. What happens in the summer? Nothing, right? The odd time I'd make it back for Easter, but yeah, I was never around my family, but there, uh, there's a lot of Habs fans. Like I'd say it's, I'd say it's slightly more Montreal based than Toronto. If I had to look at Habs, at Habs versus Leafs fans, it's, it's around, it's a 50, 50 split, but the Habs fans are louder, and you know what they say about loud people in the room. <laughs> no, I don't. Are you going to finish oh, that? Okay. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, not now. <laughs> you don't know. You're not going to finish it. I don't want to say it. no. Just <laughs> usually, like the loudest person is the weakest person. Yeah, in the okay. Room. Yeah, I, very sir, fair. I didn't want to say very that. fair. Yeah, very fair. And we um, always go. We always go on about how much louder it is when these two yes. teams meet at the bell center than it is at Scotiabank arena. But part of that, and I lived it for a long time in Ottawa when I worked up there is, is that the Leafs fans who travel typically are the ones who have an extra hard time getting a ticket at Scotiabank arena. So it's really twofold. Number one, you're on the road with your favorite team, right? So you're in enemy territory. So you're jacked up more even than you you would be for a home game. And then secondly, if it's the only game or two that you're going to be able to get to all season long, because tickets are tough to come by or they're so expensive down at Scotiabank Arena, you're certainly going to make the most of it. Traveling Leafs fans, it's a it's a blast. It's a they would they would roll in and take over whatever you want to call the rink in Ottawa. It was Scotiabank Place when I was there. I think it's Canadian, Canadian Tire Center. Tire. Yeah, yeah. Like it's Wasn't it? Wasn't it the Corel Center at one time? It was the Corel Center. Yes, the old computer (laughs) company, right? (laughs) You remember the first name was Palladium for about fifteen. I don't remember that. Fifteen twenty games, and then Corel got got the first sponsorship rights. But I mean, Saturday, especially Saturday nights, when the Leafs would roll in there, and I'm thinking Sundin era. That that place could be sixty to seventy percent Leafs, and most of those people wearing blue. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I mean, how it, ne- yeah, how, how neat, how about this one? How like Leafs matching up against the Habs in the first round, if they played in Montreal on, on a, if they had a weekend game there, I'd, I'm, I'd probably try to set it up to go. Oh, like if they th- played a question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, make it back, make it back to, to Toronto for the weekday, obviously to, to do the show, but if there was like a Friday or Saturday game in Montreal and the Leafs were playing, I would do everything I could to 
to get there. Um, I'm wondering, like, if you could go to if you could go to Scotia right now, would you go and watch? Like, can we even get into a game with our pat? Like, I don't think we can get in with our. No, I think they're. I think they're closed off. No, I think they're controlling the number of people who can who can get in. So there, okay, there would be credentialed media who 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 can get into the arena, but it's not just anybody. Like you'd have to have a purpose for being there. Well, I I think there are there are media people that are at the game that are outside of the broadcast. I think they're up in the whatever the press gondola watching the game, and I'm just wondering. I think I think it would be kind of neat to to be there for a game. And I'm not saying it would be a fun experience. I think it would be really strange. Imagine no one there and watching the game from the up top. Hey, how like, much you'd hear from down on you, the yeah, ice? Yeah, you'd and hear all everything. You'd, ha- you'd have the fake noise being pumped in. Like, I don't think it would be a great experience. I don't think it would be any fun, but it would be it would be interesting, right? Watching like history, watching Leafs Habs, and no fans being in there. Like I, I, I'm trying to explain what the experience would be like. And it's not like, you know, if I, if I was going to go in the game and say, Hey, I'm going to the game tonight. My friends would be like, wow, that'd be such a cool experience. I don't think it would be a cool experience. I don't think it would be any fun, right? Just, it would be dead inside there. Imagine no energy. We'd been talking about it all morning, but very intriguing to say the least. If you get to go and watch a Leafs playoff game, especially against the Habs, and you were there and there were no fans, I think it would be, you know, it, it, how many people? How, like how many people are in the rink outside of team personnel? That's what I want to know. Like half a dozen, a dozen who aren't covering the game or who are, aren't on in either organization. You know, it's uh. I'm going to look into that, actually. Gonna I'm going to look digging? into this. You're going to do some <laughs> digging. Walter Cronkite is uh, going to make an appearance. We're asking you on the text line to 595.90, and we'll throw ours out in, in just a moment. Then Hugh will jump on at the top of the hour, and we'll get his favorite Leaf, who's never played for the Habs. So we're asking Leafs fans, who is your favorite Montreal Canadiens player, current or past? It doesn't matter when. But the caveat is that person can never have played for the Leafs. So it can't be Doug Gilmore or Vinny Domfus because I don't want the answer to be Doug Gilmore. Well, obviously, every Leaf fan loves Doug Gilmore. So you can make him your answer for your favorite ever Montreal Canadian. That defeats the whole purpose. And if you're a Habs fan, who's your favorite Maple Leaf who has never played a game for the Habs? So like Doug Gilmore, Vinny Domfus, Kirk Muller, Gary Lehman, Thomas Coberley, uh, John Cordick. Many others are eliminated from from the equation here. Um, Mine, and I say this with begrudging respect. Now, at the time, the Leafs and the Habs weren't in the same conference. So the the Leafs came very, very close to taking on this guy in the Stanley Cup final in 1993, but for reasons that we have discussed at length through the years, uh, the Leafs did not get to the Stanley Cup final in 1993. But Patrick Waugh, was just the definition of winner back in the day. I really heard what Jeremy says because I got my two Stanley Cup rings plug in my ear. That was a little hot, that clip, but that was that was Patrick Waugh. I think it was, geez, in 96, they were on their way to the Stanley Cup in Colorado, and Colorado was playing Chicago, 
And Ronick, Jeremy Ronick was on Chicago still at the time, and they were chirping back and forth, and Patrick Waugh couldn't hear what Jeremy was saying because he had his two Stanley Cup rings clogging his ears. Classic. <laughs> one of the best lines. That was oh. by far one of the best lines. Uh, and, of course, Patrick, Patrick ended up with four overall because he won two more with Colorado. Yeah, yeah. I he, he was He's one of the best. And the way he left Montreal was oh, classic. Boss. Absolute <laughs> boss by the bench, Walking by the coaching staff. Just come on. Um, You know what? Like, I, I don't know. I was trying to think, like, what era do I go in, right? Like, I, I, I want to go, like, somebody I played against was, like, one of the best defensemen I got to play. It says he's six feet, but I think he was, like, 5'10", 5'11", was, was, was Markov. Um, Andre Markov. Selesha, Andre Markov. Great player. Yeah. And, like, this guy was, like, chasing your shadow on the ice. Couldn't hit him, you know put up big numbers for a D man, such an important part of the organization, like played his first game with, with the Canadians in, in 2000, 2001, I got to play against them actually, even in, in the AHL when he was, there was an AHL team in Quebec, but played against them throughout the years. He was really good. Um, and he's like, he had serious knee injuries. Yeah, he had the bad. Well, he had the bad one knee injury. Just and and that. that, But he came back and he was still effective. That's the thing about him. It's that he was still good after, and uh, he couldn't skate. Like there's a lot of players that have like, I can have major injuries that somehow figure out how to be effective still, and I think that says a lot about you as a player, um, and just how bad how bad you want it. You figure out a way around your disability, and you know I it, just playing with guys that I've seen that happen to. It says a lot about actually how good they are. Like, oh, I can't, I, I oh, I don't, ha- I can't bend my right knee. Well, I'll still figure a way to. I'll do something different. Uh, you take out the vision in one of my eyes from getting hit with a stick. I'm gonna figure out how to play the game with one eye. Like guys do it, and guys are that good. Markov was one of those players. It was just couldn't hit them great on the power play smart, always made their team better and made players around them better than they were that signed really big contracts on some of your favorite teams. Does his name Not rhyme mention. with <laughs> bike mama <Sarek? laughs> He's a great guy, but yeah, that's one of them. So, and I mean, it's not just him. It, it, there was dozens of players every year where they go and play with some different team, a different system. And it's like, okay, that guy played with Markov. He makes everybody better. So I'll just, he I'll leave it some at that. other guys, some money. That's and then absolutely. Yeah. And then I, I, I don't want to, I'm picking, that's my guy. But if I had to pick another player, that I didn't play against was PK Supin. And I know I just, and the reason I'm seeing him and I never got a chance to play against him in the NHL, a really good guy was that Sidney Crosby throughout those years, like 2008 through to 2012, like before he had the injury, not many D men could stop him. And there was a point where PK Supin was the only defenseman in the league that could stop Crosby. There was no one else. Like, I, I don't, I don't think there was a defender that played him as well as he played them when the Canadians matched up against the penguins. 
and it just sticks out to me. But I never got to see what he was like, and obviously the Canadians never really like. It depends on how you what, you, what like, what do they do? Do they win in the organization? You're taught like do the players have to win Stanley Cups. I know you mentioned Wah, but Markov for me sticks out. And then the players you like the honor honorable mention is PK. Well, I mean, let's be honest, Ziggy. We're asking Hab fans to come up with their favorite Leafs yeah. who never played for the Habs. It, guys who carved their teeth and played most of their careers or all of their careers with the Leafs weren't winning many cups. I wanted to pick Hal Gill, but he played in Toronto, so I couldn't mention Hal That's Gill. That's right. Al Gill. <laughs> Al Gill, another guy who played for both teams, will be uh, interesting. We got we, we to gotta get him. We got to get him on the talk about the Nashville series. He's uh he's doing color on radio for for the Preds. Yeah, that cut. That, well, it was two two through two periods. Bit of a yeah, hockey a good, game. That's that Carol- another, another good game. Yeah, Carolina absolutely uh, took over in that third. Man, those Hurricanes are are a good team. Uh, we're all over the uh, playoff matchups from last night. Taylor Hall had a big night for the Bruins, the game-tying goal, and then they go on and win on the Marshand overtime goal. So that series is tied at a game apiece, and I've just kind of made peace with the fact that a team that I don't really like is going to advance out of that series, Boston or Washington. I don't even know who I'm cheering for. It's more like I'm not cheering for somebody just a little bit more than the other, but I'm not even sure who that is. I guess I got to go by my natural reaction. When Boston scored, I wasn't happy. So I must be cheering. I must be cheering for Washington. And we're taking your, uh, if you're a Leafs fan, your favorite Hab of all time who's never played for the Leafs. Or if you're a Habs fan, your favorite Leaf of all time who's never played for the Habs. We'll read some of the text to 595.90 coming up. Lead off with Ziggy and Scotty Mack on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Lots of love for Alex Kovalev from Leafs fans. Ooh, he was. How did I let that slip by? Alex Kovalev was the Is best. it the dive? Is it the dive? The dive does just. it for me there. You know the dive in the neutral zone, the slash. I just I don't remember who did who he dove against, but it sticks out for me. I, Kovalev's Kovalev's Pittsburgh for me though. Like if I have to think of sure. Yeah. Yeah. Although uh, they loved him. They loved him oh, in Montreal. Yeah. Like it was almost like he was he was that first player post LaFleur who had some kind of flair that reminded you a little bit of of the flower. They just they adored him there. And you and I have talked about this a little bit before. I I don't know if you could I don't know if you need one human hand. Maybe, maybe you do, and if not, if you do, you don't need two to count the number of players more skilled than Alex Kovalev who've ever played the game. I'm not saying he's a top 10 overall player in the history of the NHL. One of of the most skilled guys to ever play hockey. Ever. One of the best hands I've ever seen. Stick handling, like in a phone booth, couldn't get it off him. Like if you had to play keep away with a guy, out of everybody I played against, he would be, he would be the if I had not play keep, I had to play keep away with a guy on my team. He would be the best I've ever seen. Like no one comes close. Not Mario. Not McGilney. No one. And this was a guy who would stand on the goal line 
after practice at one end of the ice and he would flip pucks down the ice in the air that would land on top of the other net. And he would just do it without fail. <laughs> it, it was incredible, incredible to watch. I had an opportunity to be up close and, and watch some of that. He's good. When he played yeah, he's for really Ottawa. Good. Yeah. Skilled. Great, great player. Keep the text coming into 590-590. If you're a Leafs fan, your all-time favorite Hab, who never played for the Leafs, or if you're a Habs fan, your all-time favorite Leaf, who never played for the Habs. So we're eliminating the cross-pollination because that makes the answers too easy. Of course, a Leafs fan could say, Doug Gilmore's my favorite ever Hab. We all love Doug Gilmore here in Toronto. I think we retched a little bit when he put on the Blue Blanc A Rouge, but we can't. That's, that's an easy answer. We're, we're looking for cross-pollination and mutual respect. Can we find it within these fan bases? And we're going to attempt it on this show at 8.30 this morning when Steve Dangle, noted Leafs fan, and Andrew Berkshire, noted Habs backer, join us for a panel discussion. We'll see if we can keep the peace. How ugly could this get? Kevin Barker for the full half hour at 7.30. Keep the text rolling in. Hugh Burl, Habs fan, will tell us his all-time favorite Leaf who never played for Montreal. And we'll touch on last night's action. Big win for the Bruins and good starts for Carolina and Colorado. You're listening to Lead Off with Ziggy and Scotty Mack on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. song that the people who invented <laughs> baseball pilfered for their eighth Neil, inning entertainment. Neil Barker. Uh, that was, you're welcome. That was uh, that was on key. <laughs> uh, I think yeah. you got a. I think you got a future. Maybe you're the next, lot, next American Idol. Of, I put a lot of effort into that. Yeah. Bye, yeah. Bye, can you bye. can you can you sing a tenor? <laughs> Barks, can you sing a tenor? Not a chance. I was no. going to say tenor tenor. You know, are are eleven miles away from me. That's what I was going to ask you. Oh, wow. oh. no, I cannot. <laughs> a little play on words there. I right? see what you did there. See what you did. Kevin Barker is the uh, co-host with Jeff Blair of Baseball Central here on Sportsnet 590. The fan get him each and every weekday at two o'clock, and he is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. The phone lines are open if you want to bark at Barker, 416-870-0590. You can text as well to 590-590, and those are rolling in. Are you a believer in the 25-17 and 17 Boston Red Sox? Is, is this sustainable for them? Yeah, I think so. I, I think their lineup with uh, with Bogarts and with Devers and with J.D. Martinez, I think it's really good. I think that's sustain, sustainable. 
you know, the, they're run producers. They they score a lot of runs to hide weaknesses defensively. They're they're a halfway de- uh, good defensive team. You know, in the infield, they're going to catch most of the balls they should catch. Devers occasionally will have, you know, some baseball IQ mistakes, but he's young. He's learning at third base. He, you know, as long as he's taking care of his weight and and a little bit more athletic from the lower from the, in the lower half, he's going to be fine defensively. Look, they, they, I don't think they know any better. And, and if you, this is one of the first years I think with the Red Sox hadn't had a, a whole lot of, uh, pressure on them to go out and win games. Nobody thought they were going to be any good. Well, so what do they say? They go out and hire the best manager in their, in their mind that's ever been a manager in Major League Baseball. And just with that factor right there, that adds up to being 25 and whatever they are. So it's, you know, this will be a good test for the Blue Jays. This will tell the Blue Jays where they're at. The Blue Jays are going to have to play good baseball. They're going to have to catch the ball like they have been. They're going to have to run the bases a little bit better than they did in the in the Philadelphia Phillies series. They're going to, you know, have to, the starters are going to have to continue to do what the main starters have done. Uh, the bullpen, they pieced that together. Uh, you know, that's how you win games with really good pitching, some good defense, and some timely hitting. So with the Jays right now and and where they're at, you know, 22 and 17, but they haven't really played a long string of games against their own division. And now starting with the Red Sox, can they, is there any kind of message they can send to the AL East where it's like, we're for real. We can kind of take control of the division in a sense where, or are these just the number of games against your division? You got to go out there, do the same things you've been doing. They've been relied on the, the, the bullpen. The bats have been good for the most part here. Yeah. Is that how do you look at this if you're a Blue Jays player? Yeah, I don't think the Blue Jays players care who they play. I, I think the message mm-hmm. has already been sent that Vladdy's pretty good, Bo's pretty good, Marcus Simeon's you know halfway decent. If he gets a good pitch and a and a good count that's not spinning, he's going to have good success in the middle of the field. He can backspin a ball out of the ballpark and get a big hit for him. Teoscar Hernandez is starting to round into form mechanically. Uh, Randall Grichik's you know if he can hit somewhere around Teoscar Hernandez, he seems to like that for whatever reason. Mentally, that'll tell him a little bit of where. They're going to pitch him how they're going to pitch him. Uh, you know, if Lourdes Gurriel Jr. can, can I don't want to say stay hot, but be consistent with his approach and stay inside the baseball and, and maybe think the other way instead of trying to pull everything. They're, they're a good team. Offensively, they're a good team. If the Blue Jays get some halfway decent starting pitching, they have to be great starting pitching. Halfway decent starting pitching and turn it over to a pretty good bullpen, they're going to win most of those games. It's already been said throughout the league that the Blue Jays are pretty good. Kevin Barker is with us on leadoff Sportsnet 590, the fan, and the uh, phone lines are open, 416-870-0590. If you want to bark at Barker, you can text us to 590-590 as well, and those are rolling in. We'll get to them in just a little bit. So I'm looking at the bullpen here. Uh, Nick Elgire gets optioned out yesterday, Kev, so that naturally leads us to assume that Rafael Dolis will be activated uh, off the calf injury, the 10-day IL, in time to return to the bullpen tonight. And that's that's a big gain for the Jays because, man, the attrition has been tough. David Phelps on the 60 now. Ryan Barucki is down again, uh, 10-day IL. Merriweather hasn't been heard from in a month and won't be heard from for at least another. Uh, Anthony Castro, Nate Pearson, uh, Tyler Chatwood earlier this year was on the IL. Jordan Romano has been on the IL. Romano looked iffy at best on Sunday afternoon and it was a grind to finish that game with Jeremy Beasley Tim Mesa has struggled it it looked to me if you go back to Friday night's game where uh, it was Piamps and then Mesa 
who coughed it up in the seventh inning against Philadelphia, and then how interesting Sunday's game got when really it didn't need to be. It looked to me like maybe the attrition in that pen, all of the injuries were starting to catch up. Guys are tired or guys are hurt and therefore less than ideal options are having to pitch in high leverage. Tim Mazur would be at the top of the list right now. Yeah. Are you seeing signs of of cracks in the bullpen's armor or am I making more of this than there really is? Nope, there, there's definitely cracks. When you have no, no David Phelps, which for me might, might have been the biggest part of that bullpen, no Ryan Barucki. With, with no Ryan Barucki, that means you have to see more Tim Mays or Travis Bergen. Look, Travis Bergen throws one pitch. Has it been sneaky? Has it been in the invisible? I guess, you know, there's no rhyme or reason why he's getting everybody out with one pitch, but you're right on that. Tim Mazer for me, doesn't have to pitch, right? Tim Mays is just another guy. Look, everybody loves Tim Mays and what he's coming back from, the Tim, Tommy John surgery, and that seems to be what he's going through is he's trying to figure out how to get past the valleys after coming off of Tommy John surgery. Uh, but having Rafael Dolis sort of, for me, puts Jordan Romano in the hybrid role. Jordan Romano is that guy. I think the more he walks around the bullpen, the, the worse off he can be. That, that Because that gives him a little bit more time to think about what he has to do when he comes in the game. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, with being the hybrid guy, meaning he can get start getting ready in that fifth inning like he does walking around flipping the ball in the air, doing the, the you know, standing on the mound doing the little throws that he does he can do that maybe come in in the sixth or seventh inning instead of the eighth or ninth inning being the hybrid guy again we can lose games in the fifth and sixth and seventh inning just like you can in the eighth and ninth inning tyler chatwood with that cutter that sinker and that four seamer you know he's added velocity to the four seamer 97 makes the 89 mile an hour cutter that much better rafael dolis look he's in no hurry he'll throw the ball when he's ready to throw it if the split finger's good he's going to be really good and he'll get key outs when when they have to have them those three guys right there you work from those three guys down you sort to fill in the blanks that means the starting rotation has to be a little be a little bit better you, you know you, you anthony k i'm guessing he's going to get another start ross stripling he throws his breaking ball ross stripling's a halfway decent starting pitcher he can give you five plus innings if he uses his best pitch his best pitch is his breaking ball for me he's doing hitters favors when he doesn't throw them that puts a little bit pre more pressure on them that puts a little bit more, uh, more pressure on a younger lineup look the guy the lineup's really not young the guys in the middle of that order are trying to figure out who they are now obviously Obviously, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has gotten off to an unbelievable start. What is he, second in OPS in baseball? Uh, Bo Bichette's uh, for, tied for first with runs scored in baseball. They're doing their thing. Marcus Simeon's hitting over 360 the last 15 games. He he's sort sort of rhyming rhyming into form with the the front side. You know the front side. He gets a little too closed off sometimes. That's why you see him out and around. He's hitting balls on the ground a little bit early in the season. He's not doing that as much now. He's more to right center field. The Blue Jays got a good team. Uh, let's just say it like it is. There, there's a reason. I, I just didn't sit around when Jeff Blair was saying they were going to go 84 and whatever he said they were going to go, and I said they were going to go 90 and 72. I just didn't throw a number in the air and say 90 and 72. No. You look at their team. Their lineup can carry this team for long periods of time. If they get halfway decent starting pitching and they don't continue to, to fall off the map in the bullpen, this team's pretty good. And, and defensively, all of a sudden, what's Bo Bichette doing? The first 18 games of the season, he made six errors. The last 18 games, he's made one error. That's the difference here, right? You start catching the ball a little bit more. You, you make the place you're supposed to, uh, supposed to make. You start getting some timely hits. You let your studs carry your team, which is what they're doing. 
I think you, I think by listening to me talk, you understand that I think they're a pretty good team. Well, they are a pretty good team because that they are where they are in spite of a lot of challenges, including their schedule, which has been road heavy, and obviously they don't technically have a home stadium. I, I want to talk about starting pitcher efficiency in just a moment, but we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you, Kev, what what you thought you saw from Romano on Sunday. Um, it. I know he blew a 101-mile-an-hour fastball uh, past, uh, forgive me for forgetting the Phillies hitter. Andrew Andrew McCutcheon. Andrew McCutcheon, McCutcheon. McCutcheon. right. But then he was, it felt like he was guiding 96 in the ninth inning and and struggling to get that slider over the plate to the point where Charlie Montoyo, Pete Walker, and the trainer came out to make sure everything was okay. Yeah, okay, he throws – here's what he does. He, he throws a 52% slider, 46% fastball. He's going to throw a bunch of sliders. Look, the, the one at bat you could maybe scratch your head with is leading off the, the Segura at bat, leading off the ninth inning. He hits a 3-1 count. He flips the slider for 3-2. Then 3-2, he flips another slider, and he walks the guy. He's up four runs. That, that'll that make you a little bit want to scratch your head. But, again, you go back to how much he uses his slider. He uses his slider a lot more than he uses his fastball. Yeah, the, the old saying is you, if you're going to get beat, you get beat with your best pitch. Now, I get it. It was 101, and it had a little bit of sync to it to Andrew McCutcheon, but he don't like his fastball. He, he uses his fastball a lot to set up his, his slider. He's got two different sliders. He's got get me over one. He's got a back foot one, and that one it can dive down and away to, to a right-handed hitter. So he's got two of them. And he loves throwing it. And for whatever reason, Danny Jansen, when it matters, you know, matters to me means read the scoreboard. Turn around and go, okay, the scoreboard says we're up four runs. I don't want to walk the leadoff hitter. It looks to me like I'm not real, getting real good extension with my slider because of where it's ending up, right? It's ending up up and away to a right-handed hitter and up and into a left-handed hitter. I really don't want to throw that because I probably can't throw it for strikes. So I, I think I can throw a, a fastball. It doesn't have to be 101. 96, okay located middle away doesn't have to be on the black because it's 96 and it's a right-handed hitter he's probably looking slider too that's what Segura does he's a guesser so you 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 think you can go a little bit middle away so I don't know if I question so much Romano as sometimes I question game plans late in games that that's to me what I question a little bit I just think sometimes the Blue Jays are, are not on the scoreboard game plan. The scoreboard a lot will tell you how you're how you're attacking at bats. You know, you saw George Springer when he hit the 3-0 home runs. The scoreboard was telling him what he was going to get 3-0 and if he should swing or not. That that's why you swing and what you do. And sometimes I just think the Blue Jays just just don't look at the scoreboard enough that'll tell you how to attack certain hitters. What do you think about potential options for the back end of the rotation? And I, I want to bring up this name, Trent Thornton. What do you, is, is his elbow surgery, do you think that's causing him problems or do you think he can kind of get back to his 2019 season where he led the team in games, innings pitched, and strikeouts? Yeah, look, look I, I would – if you're seeing Trent Thornton making 10, 15 starts, probably something going on that, that's probably not very good for the Blue Jays. Nothing, nothing against Trent Thornton. He's made good adjustments, like, right? He's canned the sinker and the slider because he has trouble with grip and, and overthrowing. He wants to strike everybody out. when that, that leads to lots of pitches, and, and he's not having quality outings. And he's starting to throw get-me-over breaking ball. You know, he'll throw that 
five-mile-an-hour breaking ball that he can get over for strike one. He can elevate the heater. The velocity on the, the four-seamer is a little bit better. Do I like seeing him start? Probably not. You know, the one-time through is about what he's going to give you. That, that wind-up that he has will, will sneak him through six or seven batters. They, they have a tough time of seeing the ball. They have a tough time timing that up. That that allows him to to sneak by with that 93-mile-an-hour four-seamer that will get me over breaking ball, occasionally have the cutter, occasionally have the changeup. He's a decent pitcher. Do you, do you want Trent Thornton on your team? Probably. He's a hard worker. He's going to give you the college try every time he goes out, but you got to be real careful when you're using him. You, you want to use him sometime middle of the game where if he does give it up, you have a chance to come back and, and you know, the, the piggyback role, he could, he could be sufficient there, I think. But for me right now, if Ross Stripling, I'll get back to Ross Stripling. I'm not a huge fan of Ross Stripling, but Ross Stripling, if he throws his breaking ball, because that's a big league breaking ball, that makes the fastball that much better. Then he can throw his little cutter slider thing that he that he's in love with. Uh, Anthony K. look, if he is established and not overthrowing early in games, if he can go in with the fastball, sprinkle in the slider, the cutter, the breaking ball, Anthony K. I like him too. So I think right now, uh, rotation-wise, with the big three, and then you can fill in the blanks with the other two guys, Trent Thornton, where they have him now, I, th- I, I sort of like that spot, and, and, and I'm sure they'll continue to keep him in that spot. With Kevin Barker on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Jason Red Sox tonight on Sportsnet 590, the fan, and on Sportsnet 1. It's game one of a three-game series as uh, the Jays and Red Sox come into this series with the same number of losses, although the Jays are a game and a half back of Boston because they have three more games played and has won them all uh, for first place in the division. This is a specific question for Mats and Ray, although it can apply to anybody, and less so Ray than Mats. Is is there something or a couple of things, Kevin, that you've noticed that if they tweaked them, adjusted them just a little bit, they could become more efficient and pitch deeper into the ball game more often, like Mats. Matt's is a five in five and one hundred guy, right? Five innings, a hundred pitches. Yeah. Can he get to six, six and a third um, mm. with with just a slight adjustment? Is it about having a pitch that finishes guys off? Although he had the Phillies guessing the other night, they were staring at a lot of a lot of third strike fastballs um, yeah. on the inner half of the plate. Like, what can these guys do to become more efficient with pitch count? Yeah, yeah. St- Steven Matz is a is a unpredictable pitcher first. That, that's his mindset. He'd rather spin it and and change speeds with it instead of throwing his best pitch. For me, his best pitch is sinker. He, he's left-handed. He throws 95, 96 miles an hour and can basically go both sides of the plate to a right-handed hitter, but he doesn't throw it enough. You know, the first four starts, he's throwing it about 46, 47% of the time. You saw what the first four starts look like. After that, he hasn't been throwing his much he's very he's trying to be very unpredictable by mixing in all four of his pitches you try to throw all four of your pitches in any count you're going to do exactly what you just said you're going to have five starts in a row where you don't go more than five innings and I think that's what he's going to be the, the entire rest of the year again he might look out and face a team that's very aggressive and, and he can get them to chase and give you six plus innings but it's going to be rare Robbie Ray you don't change a thing He's got a lot of confidence in what he's doing mechanically. He can he can make a mechanical adjustment in game, in pitch, in at bat, which is a big deal for him, right? He's got the little when he raises his leg kick, he's got the little turn which keeps him balanced over the rubber. That doesn't have him in so much of a hurry when he's going down the slope of the of the hill. So look, you don't change a thing with Robbie Ray, uh Steven Matz. That this is just what you're going to get. I'll, I'll take with the bullpen that they have, with, with having Tyler Chatwood, with having Jordan Romano, with having Rafael Dolis back, I'll take the Steven Matz, 
giving you five innings and three or fewer runs. Marcus Simeon is on a heater for the Blue Jays right now, and we'll bring his name up with Kevin on the other side. But we talk about Marcus Simeon, and, I mean, the leadoff spot for the Blue Jays has been open uh, for a lot of the season because the guy who's supposed to be there, George Springer, really hasn't been healthy at all and has played in, what, three and a half games. Now, he'll go back into that spot when he finally does get back. But unlike in the first couple of weeks of the season, and sometimes it takes guys a little while to get into the groove, get their timing down, it's 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 not always locked in coming out of spring training. Marcus Semyon is is performing at a really high level. He's on a heater right now. And I think he's also contributed in helping to settle down some of that infield defense. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, defensively, I think that's a, a very individual thing. The, the things that were going on with Bo was very individual when it comes to having confidence enough to use one hand when you catch the ball. The internal clock, how much time you have with the guy running. You know, you, you don't always have to be in such a big hurry. He, Bo Bichette's really good to his left, not so much to his right, not so much coming in on the ball. He's corrected those things, and now he's very good defensively. Like I said, he hasn't made an, he only one error in the last 18 games. Ha- having a guy like Marcus Simeon to go – you got this, I'll take this side, that's a big deal because you have a lot of confidence that he can take care of his part. You you only have to worry about your part, so that's a big deal. Marcus Simeon, for me, hitting in the leadoff spot, knows what he's going to get. Look, when the guys stand on the on-deck circles, Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., that will get you – I'm not saying that will get you a different – way they're going to pitch you, but that'll get you strikes. They don't want to walk you. So in a a 3-1 count, they may throw you a a middle-of-way fastball or a middle-of-way changeup instead of trying to give you their nasty slider or breaking ball because they know you might lay off that you might walk and Bo Bichette and come up and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. come up. He, he understands that. He's, he's mechanically a little bit better sound with his direction. He's not cutting himself off. He's using a little bit more of the whole field. You know, he doesn't have to go line to line. He can more right-centered to the left-field line. Uh, when he gets a good pitch, he's not missing it. That, that's the big thing at the big league level is I, it took me 16 years. I never figured out how to do that. It, that's the one thing is when you get a good pitch, you cannot miss it. Right now, Marcus Simeon is not doing that. And for all the reasons that I just mentioned, it it will be very interesting to see how they lengthen their lineup. There's many ways you can lengthen the lineup. I understand George Springer comes back, how much money you gave him. You know, he's had 138 home runs with 355 RBIs in the leadoff spot. I get it. And probably Marcus Simeon's not going to lead off. But how do you lengthen the lineup? Do you put Marcus Simeon in a two spot? Do you move everybody just down a spot? That would lengthen your lineup that way. Or do you leave everybody where they're at, put Marcus Simeon in the sixth spot, and you can lengthen your lineup that way? And how will Marcus Simeon look? Because Lourdes Gurriel Jr. hit behind Marcus Simeon's not both. Bichette hit behind Marcus Simeon. So it'll be an interesting thing. But, again, you know, if you're the manager of the Toronto Blue Jays, these are great problems you have to have. You're going home figuring out, hey, look, I got all these great hitters. I don't really know where to put them. So it's a it's a great problem to have, and Marcus Simeon has made huge adjustments. It would be interesting to see if Marcus Simeon has a good year. Is Marcus Simeon the, the second baseman for the Toronto Blue Jays in 2022? Mm-hmm. I want, be an interesting I mean, I want Vladdy hitting in the first inning guaranteed. So yeah. if you move everybody down and he's your cleanup hitter, three up, three down, he's leading off the second. So. And it might, and it may also take it at bat away from Bo and Vladdy and Teoscar, which you probably don't want that kind of thing. But again, it's it's options. That, that's all you want. You, you're you're thinking about options because you have a bunch of guys that are hitting and on a roll all at the same time. That's it'll probably end up the way I said about Marcus Simeon hitting sixth. 
but I'm sure they're kicking the can on that, you know, moving up, putting Marcus Simeon in the two spot and moving everybody down. And, you know, you're, you're sort of trying to hide the bottom of your order. Kevin Biscio and, and Danny Jansen and, and the, those are guys you're trying to hide. How do you try and hide them? Now, I get Kevin Biscio has made a little bit of an adjustment. He's a little bit quieter with his little load that he has. You know, you can see him. He has that little fast thing he does with his hands and he starts to slow it down and then he stops it. He's getting a little bit better with the timing of that. That allows him to level out his barrel a little bit more and he's able to you know at least put the ball in play that's elevated so i know he's he's made a little bit of an adjustment but i still want him hitting ninth for me when everything's said and done with vlad hitting 11 you know he's got 11 dingers so far this season what do you do you you believe vladdy when he said when they asked him hey like are you swinging for home runs and he his response was i think this was a couple days ago or last week he says I'm just trying to put the bat on the ball. Do you believe that, or you think he's swinging for the fences? No, I believe that 1,000%. That's what great okay. hitters do. Great hitters don't go up and try to hit homers. They try and hit the ball hard. And and now you're starting to see Vladdy with the, the lower half. If I've said this to you guys before. As long as Vladdy is not early with his lower half, because the earlier he is, the, the more his hands start to drop, and that causes the barrel to go below the hands, and his hands go, go below the baseball, and then he starts to try and catch up, and that's why he's pulling the baseball baseball on the ground and and that's what everybody doesn't want him to do they throw their hands in the air because he's hitting the ball on the ground he's a line drive hitter who hits the ball so hard the ball goes out of the ballpark that that's what he's trying to do and again i get back to that marcus simeon thing i it took me 16 years and i never did figure it out when you get a good pitch to hit you have to hammer it when's the last time you were watching a vladimir guerrero jr at bat and you walked away from going from that oh man he got that one pitch and didn't hit it <laughs> it it is very rare that you walk away saying that, and, and that's because all the things you know he has better plate discipline, his timing's better, he has great bat speed, he has tremendous confidence, he has tremendous confidence in his appearance, which is a huge deal. His defense is off the charts. Uh, he's hitting around Bo Bichette, which I think is a big deal. He has his buddy Teoscar Hernandez back. Look, when they get George Springer back, mm. good luck if you're a starting pitcher facing those four guys right out the gate in the first inning. Good good luck. With Kevin Barker on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Um, we both know Kev, uh, Kevin Pilar, and yeah. that was tough last night. So it he takes hard. a he takes a 94 mile an hour fastball right in the face uh, from Atlanta pitcher Jacob Webb, and and I guess my my question is off of that, Kevin. How often did you step into the batter's box? I mean, this would be a tough way to exist. So I, I can't imagine it was often, but but you tell me, how often did you step into the batter's box with any sort of hesitation or fear in the back of your mind about something like that happening? Yeah, never, never for me. I was a left-handed hitter. The most most of the guys that I faced were were right-handed pitchers. It's a little easier to get out of the way, right? It looked to me like when I was watching Kevin Pilar at bat last night, and it was two strikes. It looked to me like he he was awfully looking for a breaking ball that was going to start at him and dive down off the plate, and he was trying to stay on that it lo- because it looked to me just looked to me like he had recognized what the pitch was doing very late and. Took that ball in the face. It's very hard to see, so hopefully everything's okay with Kevin. We see Giancarlo Stanton, right, has had quite a time of trying to figure out a way to keep his front side in because of getting hit in the face. This is one thing that Kevin Pillar is going to have to try and really get past is the fear of will it happen again. 
And, again, go back to Giancarlo Stanton with that weird swing and that weird stance he has now. He's doing that for a reason, not not because, you know, uh, aesthetics, the whole thing, how it looks. It's because he's trying to keep his front side in, and he doesn't want to dive away from the baseball to give himself a, a chance to put a ball in play. So, you know, you know, it's a scary thing. These guys throw so hard. They throw so many secondary pitches and so many odd counts. There is no fastball count anymore. And these hitters, especially being right-handed, facing all these right-handed pitchers, have to figure out ways to keep the front side in. And they, they're they trying to let the ball travel, especially with two strikes. And, you know, occasionally that's going to happen. Again, it's you, you never want to see a guy get hit in the face and, and – and I was watching that, and, and my wife was watching that, and we were almost running away from the TV. I mean, yeah. it, it was that scary. And, it, and then you see George Pulis walking out, and, and he, I, I really don't want to think that he was picking up teeth because I know they were cleaning up the blood and those kind of things. It, it is just a very scary thing to watch. You know, that's what comes with velocity. All of these pitchers, as hard as they throw, and then you're a right-handed hitter trying to stand in there and, and actually try and keep your front side in enough to drive a ball to right center. It, it is a very scary thing, and it'll be an interesting thing to see how Kevin Pillar comes back from this. And George Poulos' Atlanta's trainer was the Blue Jays' trainer back in the yep. Alex Anthopoulos days, and so would have known Kevin Pillar uh, very, very personally as well. Yep. What are we talking about on Thursday morning, Kevin? Are, are we looking at a Jays team that, that has gotten off to a good start in this series against Boston? I mean, I'm, I'm excited about where this club is at. I agree with you that they are good. I think they have succeeded uh, to a somewhat unexpected level in the face of a lot of adversity, whether it's injuries or other things, and yet I can't get the state of the bullpen out of the back of my mind as I look ahead to an offensively powerful Boston team and then a very fundamentally sound Tampa Bay team on the weekend. Yeah, I think we'll be talking about that the two best teams the American League East are playing each other. Uh, that, that's exactly what I think. Uh, the New York Yankees, for me, uh, lineup-wise, health-wise, uh, defensive-wise, uh, right now, you know, starting rotation-wise, I just don't think they're as good as the Blue Jays and the Red Sox. The, the Red Sox right now offensively are – top end again it, it is how you're working through and it'll be interesting to see how Ryu comes off a bad start he had a bad start against them the first time through because the cutter wasn't working and going to that short porch in left field and and it'll be interesting to see how he attacks this lineup and and will he use his change up a little bit more will he use his, his breaking ball a little bit more because the last time he pitched he was more of the breaking ball instead of the cutter he will we see all four or five pitches right out the gate will he empty the tank will he be more try to be more efficient up and in so it'll be a very interesting thing to see how Ryu attacks a, a very good lineup. I don't think the Blue Jays are going to change a thing. They're such a young team, they don't really know any better. And, and the bullpen has so much confidence. Jordan Romano, if he's healthy, he's, not, he's going to forget about the outing he had. Maybe Jordan Romano's just not good, good at yet coming back-to-back outings, right? He had 22 pitches one time. He come back and had 20 pitches. Maybe not real good at that. Maybe they need to figure out routine-wise on how to get him in and maximize what he does well. They'll get Delise back, which will be a big deal. Tyler Chatwell will be pitching – the really good innings when it matters. Ryu will do his thing. Defensively, they'll keep doing their thing. Look, if Lourdes Gurriel Jr. continues to stay hot and get some big hits and everybody else continues to do what they're doing, this will be must-watch TV. There'll be lots of runs scored, and, and again, I really do think this will be the best two teams in the American League East. Enio and Richmond Hill barking at Barker on the text line. Red Sox pitching is bad. Yeah. Are they doing this with smoke and mirrors? I know you love them offensively. Who doesn't? 
Yeah, look, again, it's it's you play 10, 10 or 15 games above 500 at home. You play 500 on the road. That's a pretty good team. That's probably what the Red Sox are trying to do. Again, the, the Red Sox are playing with house money. Nobody thought the Red Sox were going to be any good. Of course, exactly what that texter just said. The Red Sox don't have very good starting pitching, but they do have a great lineup who's making up for bad starting pitching and a, and a mediocre bullpen. Defensively, they're again, they're halfway decent defensively, and they mash baseballs. They're going to win a bunch of 10-7 to 7 games. 7.30 Thursday morning, pal. Book it. We always look forward to it. Can't wait. Have a great day, everybody. Kevin Barker, co-host with Jeff Blair of Baseball Central, 2 o'clock for the full hour this afternoon on Sportsnet 590. The Fan, Kevin, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. An hour previewing the Leafs and the Habs and discussing the uh, ongoing playoffs. It's like no Leafs and Habs yet, no Oilers and Jets yet, but a, a bunch of things have happened, a bunch of overtime games, some really good hockey uh, being played early on in these NHL playoffs. Steve Dangle, Andrew Berkshire. Leafs versus Habs coming up at 835. And up next, former Maple Leaf and former head coach and hopefully future head coach, Bruce Boudreaux. And here's what we're talking about this morning on leadoff. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Brad Marchand has one more overtime winner this playoff than people he's licked, at least so far. Boston 4 Washington three on Marchand's goal, 39 seconds into the first overtime period last night. So that series is even at a game apiece heading back to Boston. Taylor Hall with 249 left in the third period tied the game. So the Capitals were that close to taking a two games to none series lead. They're underway down in Raleigh, Carolina, a 5-2 victory over Nashville. Three goals in the third period to snap a 2-2 tie after 40 minutes and Colorado a big four to one victory over St. Louis in game one of their playoff series Nathan McKinnon had a pair of goals including the empty netter Gabriel Landeskog had the Gordie Howe hat trick he had a goal and an assist and a fight with Braden Shen relatively early in that hockey game it's a, a busy night of NHL playoff action on Sportsnet tonight uh, the Islanders and Penguins play game two in Pittsburgh Isles up one game to none Florida looks to get even with Tampa Bay as they host the Lightning in Game 2. And Minnesota uh, goes for a road sweep. The early part of this series, they're up one game to none. Game 2 late, a 10 o'clock Eastern time start in Vegas tonight. The Jays had an off day yesterday. They got some help in that the New York Yankees lost 5-2 to two in Texas. The Jays are back in action tonight. Kick off a seven-game run against divisional opponents. I guess it's a 10-game run if you factor in the Yankees series next week. Uh, but seven straight at home, starting tonight with Boston, kickoff a three-game series. Hyunjin Ryu, the Blue Jays' ace, goes against Red Sox ace lefty Eduardo Rodriguez. The first pitch a little after 7.30 uh, right here on Sportsnet 590, the fan. And the uh, Raptors' locker cleanout, whatever that means this year, uh, gets underway today, and we expect to carry live Kyle Lowry's press conference at 10 o'clock, Kyle Lowry expected to speak to the media at 10 o'clock this morning. And we will carry it for you right here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Text lines are wide open to 590-590. For Leafs fans, we are asking you for your favorite Habs player. The, the Habs player you respect or begrudgingly respect, one rule. That player, current or past, cannot have played for the Leafs. 
And same applies for a Montreal fan. Give us a Leafs player you love and respect, but someone who never played for Montreal. So if you're a Leafs fan, you can't say, well, Doug Gilmore is my favorite ever Hab. It's too easy to love Doug Gilmore in this market. We're trying to make the question a little more difficult. See if there's actual, functional, real, mutual respect between these two fan bases. If there's even a shred of it. And we'll test that out with Steve Dangle and Andrew Berkshire in about a half an hour from now. But we are pleased at this moment to be joined by a former Toronto Maple Leaf himself, a former NHL head coach and likely future NHL head coach. Bruce Boudreau is uh, here. Good morning, Gabby. How are you? Uh, good morning to you guys. I'm fine. Good to have you on. Um, man, these playoffs are off to a pretty good start, huh? The North Division, when it finally gets underway, Oilers and Jets tomorrow going to have something to live up to. Yeah, like every game in the playoffs so far has been outstanding. And uh, uh, you really notice the ramped-up uh, intensity of a playoff game as compared to a regular season game, especially the last few, once everything is uh, uh, said and done and the positioning of the of the teams was, was uh, established. You, you can really see the physical game has risen so much. It's what makes hockey fabulous. From a coaching standpoint, do you do more getting ready for the playoffs? I, I understand there's more preparation, and obviously you get you know four or five days, or if you know who you're going against, you can, maybe you get a week to prepare for who you're going against. But it, talking to guys either at a pregame skate or going into the room, you know, right before a game starts, is it is it more trying to get guys? Did you find you're more successful getting? saying more to guys or less than just letting the moment and, you know, players kind of absorb everything and, you know, they're all going to be ramped up to play in these games anyways. Yeah. And especially this year when they've already played everybody nine times or 10 times. I mean, it's, it's not like you're uh, getting a surprise. I mean, in former years, you might've only played the team three times during the course of the year and you might've played them, um, you know, uh, at the beginning of the season and not seen them for, you know, four months or so. So, I mean, but this this year you seem to have played the same team every second week. So you get to know them pretty well. But, I mean, it's a coach's job to get a team prepared. And, and I've done it both ways. Sometimes you over-prepare them and uh, sometimes you don't, you know, I mean, you don't prepare them enough. But uh, uh, it's a, there's a fine line. But with time off and you know who your opponent is, this is what coaches do at home or at the office. They go to the office and they look at tape and and uh, for the playoffs, usually you get a book about one team and you go over every player and sometimes it's too much. Sometimes uh, just let them play and sometimes worry about yourself and not worry about the other team. And if you worry about yourself and you do the things you know that make your team successful, that's usually good enough to win. With Bruce Boudreaux. So in terms of over-preparing or, or under-preparing, what tends to dictate that, Bruce? Is it a particular matchup? Is it whether you feel that on paper you have the better roster, you have the inferior roster? What goes into all of that? Well, I think time, too. Sometimes, uh, um, let's just say you, you don't... Um, know who your opponent is to the final game of the season and then you start in two days it's really hard to over prepare for that but i mean if you know um 10 days before who your team is playing 
we we always used to make a book about the other team, what the, um, the your record against them was. You go over every player, the tendencies, and and everything else. And and you know sometimes it's ten, fifteen pages long. And and uh, athletes for the most part just want to play. And and sometimes you you get in there and you're studying it, and you 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 forget to just play, and you you worry about what they're doing. And um, you know, I think it's a combination of both the, the, to make you successful is you know who you're playing, you go over their tendencies, but you're really um, focused on what you do well. And when you do these things well, you can show it whether it's video or you can show it whether it's statistics or you can show it uh, uh, just how your, what your record is. When you do your own things well, what your record, uh, what, what the outcome is. And uh, I think players like to, uh, for the most part, like to know w- more about what they're doing well and what um, worry about their team rather than worry about the other team. Uh, and that's just been my history of, of when you talk to players after it's all said and done. Um, like at exit meetings, they'll, they'll tell you. They'll say, hey, listen, we focused too much on them. We didn't focus enough on us or vice versa. And, uh, and you, that's how coaches learn as well. Um, but to, what to do in most situations. Yeah. And I, I, I prefer that as well as a, as a former player, just, you know, I, I find more often than not, you, you beat yourself sometimes <laughs> in, when you're trying to focus on the other team. I can remember going against Crosby and it was, we were so wound up trying to figure out how to stop them that sometimes you just, you don't, you don't take care of your own stuff. Right. But if you look at guys like McDavid and Matthews, I mean, the spotlight's going to be on them. Everybody, everybody's going to be watching what they do. What do, what do, what do coaches like Maurice and Ducharme, they're, they're like, how do you, do you prefer just to whoever's playing well against them that game and you just kind of run through the lines or do you have something set up where, okay, it's going to, I'm calling in my third line. This is your job. I don't want you to do anything crazy tonight, but I'm, I'm, putting confidence in this line or this player, does anything like that happen? Or do you just kind of roll the lines and whoever's playing well against top guys, you just, you keep them out there. I think it's, I think that's a difficult thing to do is just roll the lines. I mean, the one thing coaches can do is control matchups, especially the home Mm -hmm. team. And especially uh, even on the road, you can match your, your, the defense pair that you want to against the top line. Um, but I mean, it's a, it's a dicey situation that if you're third line, I mean, if I'm, and, and I have McDavid on my team and you want to play your third line against me all night long, I'm playing them double shifting them almost entirely the, the whole game. And that's cause that's keeping Matthews and the, your best players off the ice. But, um, so it's usually good if you can have two lines, uh, uh, playing against one, um, one line, if, if that's the case, I mean, they're really good teams. It's difficult because they got two, maybe three really good lines and you sort of want your matchups, but it's more defense against the, the lines you want rather than forwards against the lines that you wanted. But, um, um, you can remember in the past, like, I mean, uh, Montreal Canadiens would always have Jarvis Ganey and uh, Tremblay against whoever they were playing against uh, uh, as the best line out there. And and when you've got a, a checking line that is as good as anybody's offensive line, it's an, it's an easier situation to, to be put in. So, I mean, that's a perfect situation. Bruce Boudreau, our guest on leadoff Sportsnet 590, The Fan. So 
if you're running the Toronto Maple Leafs, what's the game plan? What are you looking to do to Montreal in game one, Bruce? And conversely, if you're the Montreal Canadiens, what's your plan of attack in game one against the Leafs? Well, I think um, if I'm the Leafs, uh, you want to play fast and you want to play in their end and you want to get the puck deep all the time. And uh, because I think that's where the Leafs are fabulous and in the other team zone and they're, they're quick up. So when the D can get the puck to the forwards as quick as possible, because everybody knows that the Leafs D's are the Leafs uh, forwards are uh, exceptional. And uh, you can go through all, you know, especially the top two lines, but all four lines um, can, can score. I think if you're, if you're Toronto, you want to get the lead on Montreal and make them play a different game. I mean, they're going to try to check like crazy, but Montreal doesn't have the firepower uh, like Toronto does. But, I mean, so if you if they have to play from behind, they have to open up. When they open up, they're gonna, uh, there's going to be holes in their defensive game, and you can counterattack them pretty well. But uh, uh, also, if I'm in Montreal, if I'm, if I'm Ducharme, I'm at home, and I'm praying that Carey Price is great. <laughs> <laughs> I think mm-hmm. that's going to be the saving grace. If he if he can play like he did in last year's playoffs, then Montreal has a chance. But if he if he doesn't, uh, I don't think there's any chance Montreal can beat Toronto. What would you do if if you're you know behind the bench in Toronto right now and you have Anderson who's had a so-so year coming back from injury? You don't really know what you're going to expect from him. Plays one game in the minors, um, comes up, finishes a game. You get to see him played okay in Ottawa, and then you have Campbell who's come on this record 17-2, and but you have a back-to-back situation. So on Monday and Tuesday, um, both games in Montreal will be back-to-back. Do you wait to see what happens, or do you kind of go to the goaltenders before the series starts and kind of map out those first four games? Um, I definitely don't want to map out all four games because the, this is the playoffs. I mean, you have to mm-hmm. take it a game at a time. I mean, it's a, you know, an old cliche, but, um, uh, and, and I wouldn't go to, um, say Freddie and say, listen, you're going to play this game because what happens in the game before if Campbell is just outstanding is outstanding and you win the game and he shuts the team out. And you, now you've already told Freddie he's playing like, I mean, now you've got to go against your word or change, change your mind. And so I think it's easier just to play the game and then tell the guys after the goalies after the game or the, or the next morning before a, a pregame skater in the pregame meeting, who's playing. I mean, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't uh, pigeonhole yourself into a corner by stating something um, that may change. And because things change, like it's even the guys you sit out, you know, if you sit out and you say, you're sitting out a guy and you say, Hey, listen, don't worry, you'll get back in tomorrow. We'll play it tomorrow. And the guy that's taking your spot plays out, plays great. I mean, you know, and you win. You don't want to change the lineup. So, I mean, uh, I learned um, from my GMs that making promises is not a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I just, it's just, it's a, we've been talking about, it seems like every single day here on if Anderson's going to start or if Campbell's going to come in and how much confidence do you give him? But um Another thing I wanted to look at is the Leafs power play. Looks like they've just uh, spread out both units, right? They were loading up the the number one unit, and then they kind of flip 
flop back and forth. Now it looks like Nylander and Tavares are, are going to go to that second unit. What, what What's the solution you think when you have a power play struggling this bad? And I know Keefe's been on, they've showed him in practice kind of talking with, with both units and even the one unit when, when they went with just the loaded up the, you know, that first power play. Do you, do you talk more to guys? Do you talk less? Do you just keep it in, you know, the offensive coach's hands and say, Hey, this is your baby. You kind of deal with it. What, what do you think the situation, like, what would you do with uh, where Toronto is at right now? Well, I think it's, it's tough for the head coach to come in and, and sort of take over uh, when you've allowed your um, power play coach to run it all year. Um, mm-hmm. That's you, you may be doing a lot of private talking with the power play coach and let him be the voice to the players, uh, unless the players aren't listening to him and doing something totally off the uh, going off the wall and doing uh, what they want to do. But uh, I, I just think I would have addressed it earlier than this week as a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it's been going bad for a couple months now, in two and a half months, and uh, uh, I would have made a look, my changes a lot sooner than uh, than now. And I hate to, you know, it's the first time ever that I'm contradicting. I think uh, what they're doing, but uh, that's just me. Um, but on the other time, if you look at the positives and you say that they're switching it up, then Montreal doesn't really know what they're doing right now either because they haven't seen the new power play uh, units together. So it might might catch them by surprise and it might work. But um, I just I, I just think it's it's been an ongoing problem that would have been great if you could have fixed it, uh, you know, a month ago. Were you surprised with the Canadians lineup? They they showed what the lines were. You had caught Kanyemi and Caulfield on the fifth line. Doesn't even look obviously a lot can change before Thursday, but they're not even in the lineup right now. Were you were you surprised to see both of those guys not, you know, slotted to to play game one? A little bit. I mean, uh, um well you think like uh uh Laviolette you know, he dresses 22 players in warm-up. He doesn't do the lines. So he, he, it's a little bit of gamemanship sometimes. But I think in Montreal's case, I mean, uh, obviously in the game one, they're going with a little bit of uh, experience. And it tells me that they feel confident that they, boy, I mean, they must have a pretty good team if those two guys aren't in the lineup. I mean, yeah. um, so, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I, I'm sure uh, guys like Stahl and, and Corey Perry have both taken uh, spots from Cotton Yemi and, and Colefield, and they're going with the veteran experience at least in game one. If the series doesn't go the way Montreal um, anticipates it, I really believe that you'll see those two guys sooner than later. Uh, you know, Cotton Yemi, I mean, his coming out party was last year's playoffs, and mm-hmm. which is what made him, made him good. So I'm a little surprised with that move. I mean, uh, and I know Cole Caulfield has scored some goals and he's been dynamic. I mean, there's no three-on-three overtime in playoffs, but uh, you have seen him uh, as a young player, and he's going to be really good. But, I mean, as a young player, his defensive deficiencies sometimes really come to the, uh, to the forefront, and you can't afford to have defici- uh, defensive deficiencies in the playoffs, especially against the Leafs. With Bruce Boudreaux on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Uh, Bruce, down in Washington, there are a lot of veteran players. So guys who've been through the war. I mean, you coached 
uh, a lot of the guys who who are still on that team. I'm I'm looking at this purely as a as a fan. If I am a fan of the Washington Capitals, I'm thinking, geez, we were two minutes and forty nine seconds away from having a two games to none series lead and holding home ice advantage. How do you in a playoff series? I imagine it gets easier the more experience you you accrue. But but how do you deal with the disappointments of the close calls? Like Boston is right back in the series, obviously. They have home ice advantage because they won on the road in overtime last night. And there are no like distinctive, obvious differentiators between these two teams. This is probably going to be a long series and a high-quality series. So how do you manage the disappointments within series when they come up? Well, I mean, you, you've got to shrug it off in a hurry. Like, okay, let's get back to work. I mean, uh, uh, you'll go over a couple of the miscues, um, and you'll show the positive points, and you, you make – you know, if the team has got any doubts, you make them believe. If I'm Washington, I'm feeling pretty good. First of all, there's they've played 11 straight playoff games that have been decided by one goal, so the teams are pretty evenly matched. But if 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 I'm Washington, I'm going, hey, look at boys, we don't have Kuznetsov, we didn't have Lars Eller for the last two periods, we only had two natural centers, we outplayed them. And we scored, uh, you know, uh, we scored goals. They they came on in the last five minutes. They started the Boston played with a real sense of urgency. And, I mean, uh, the overtime goal was just a perfect shot. So, I mean, every, I wouldn't be discouraged. I'd be saying, hey, we're going to get Kuzi back next next game. Uh, Craig Anderson played outstanding. And he's if he plays again, he's only going to be better. I mean, this guy is, is tested and and. And do you not think a guy that has only played three games during the season that's almost 40 years old, that he's he's relishing this? He This is his opportunity to get a job again next year if he plays well. So um, I'm going in. I'm being pretty positive. We can win in Boston. We have one in Boston. Don't get discouraged by an overtime loss. Bruce, thank you for this. Always enjoy the conversation, and we'll reach out again very soon. Sounds great, guys. You have a good day. There he is, former Toronto Maple Leaf, uh, former and hopefully future NHL head coach, Bruce Boudreau. Something to chew on brought to you by Great Canadian Meat. By the way, Ziggy, apropos of nothing, whenever somebody says the word relish, I always think of the condiment, and then I, like, crave a hot dog. He's relishing the opportunity to play in the playoffs. I'm like, mmm, Hot dogs. <laughs> like, I don't know why. Well, what, it's, is that? I can just see that's what you do. Like if I had to say something like something that you would do that I, like wouldn't be normal, I could just see you like you would just put relish on your hot dog. I, just, and I would else. like like what? Well, what do you put on your hot? No, dog? No, no. Give me give me some ketchup. Give me some yellow mustard. None of that Dijon weird stuff. Give me give me some basic yellow mustard. Mustard is underrated. Give me some relish. Throw some onions on there. Okay, if, we're feeling adventurous, say, if we're feeling like, adventurous, we'll throw a little cheese on, turn it into a bit of a whistle dog. Like, say we were at a, a we were at Rogers Center, we went to go and get a hot dog, and you went over and just put relish on your hot dog. I wouldn't be surprised one bit. I would just be like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. No. <laughs> no chance. No like, chance. I've seen, I've seen put like people put on their like craft dinner. I've seen people Ugh. put crazy stuff like crazy stuff on their craft like dinner, just right? mustard i've seen people go just mustard. mustard that's all right 
I can uh, do that. Maple syrup. I've heard of everything. Maple syrup. Yeah, I've heard just wow. about everything on anything, and I could just see someone putting just relish on just the hot dog, relish which, would be, which would be odd. Yeah, yeah. Ripping open the. There's nothing worse than those <laughs> relish dispensers at stadiums too, because they're chunky, right? It's chunky, like it's 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 not pure liquid like ketchup or mustard. Anyway, uh, something to chew on for great Canadian meat. Uh, we're planning to uh, carry for you the the Kyle Lowry season-ending press mm-hmm. conference at 10 o'clock here on Sportsnet 590. The fan that could of course move by a couple of minutes, just depending on on how quickly they get that thing underway. And Michael Grange's piece on sportsnet.ca, the headline is why confidence is mounting that the Raps can re-sign Masai Ujiri. And that is obviously good news, Ziggy. I think the point, though, is they got to know soon. They got to know soon because you are now into off-season mode. You got to figure out where this team is headed. Yeah, I think you have to know. Like, I, I don't think this drags on. Yeah, like, I don't. I don't think if you're Masai, you can you can go to the Raptors and say, I, I need a I need a month to kind of decompress and and think about, you know, see how this plays out. I, it'd be it'd be nice to you know in the next I, I'd say the next week or two you'd you'd have to know if you're the Toronto Raptors it, w- whether Masai is coming back or not. I I I I'm concerned at this point, and I was pretty sure before Masai would come back but now that it's gone this long I'm I'm kind of 50-50 on it I just think he has to tell the Raptors so they can start to get ready for next season I think this puts um you know Bobby in a in a, in a tough spot and you know is is he going to be leading the organization if Masai doesn't come back like how does that all you know shake itself out so yeah I, Masai it's I, I hope he comes back I hope he signs a long-term deal. I know Michael Grange is saying it's going to be some kind of short deal with an option to and Doug to, Smith to do suggested thing. there might be year over year. Yeah, options. I yeah I think Masai what he's done with this organization is has been incredible. He's he's the coaching changes, uh, Demar moving him, bringing in Kawhi, keeping Lowry here. And I wonder if the whole Lowry situation. I wonder if I wonder if Lowry's kind of waiting for Masai now. If Masai leaves, maybe Lowry's gone. Maybe Lowry wants yeah. to come back if Masai signs. Well, and I do think I do think, however this plays out, whatever the contract looks like, if it is sold as well, you know, we wanted to afford Masai the proper respect, etc. Masai Ujiri has all the leverage here. Mm-hmm. They want yeah. him back for obvious reasons. Masai Ujiri is a man of the world. He's got multitude of options. Like Masai Ujiri's coming back on terms that work for him. So it can be framed in any way. There's no doubt that people respect Masai Ujiri and want to do right by Masai Ujiri. But the contract Masai signs will be on the terms that work for him because he's got the leverage, which is he's got options all over the place. I would imagine both inside and outside of basketball. Uh, 289 number coming in. Steamies and Gatineau has all dressed hot dogs that include coleslaw as okay, a topping. I can go there. I can go there. I can go coleslaw, but I prefer the the sautéed onions and and green pepper and just doctoring it How up. How about that this way. one? Doug and Brantford, regular texture. My dad loves strawberry jam on his hot dog. It would blow there your you mind go. to find out how common that is. I've never I heard told of you. That. I'm telling you, you there's some condiments that go on dogs and certain things that you would be. It would you. You'd fall. You'd fall over if you heard some of the stuff that I've 
I've seen. <laughs> now I'm starting to figure out why you might have gone plant-based and then to run away from it. <laughs> Steve Dangle representing the Maple Leafs. Andrew Berkshire representing the Montreal Canadiens. We're going to try to make these two coexist. Can we find common ground and mutual respect between these two fan bases? We put it to the test. Coming up. Lead off with Ziggy and Scotty Mack on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. You think that Dan Campbell act is going to be cute when they lose 13 games a year for the next three or four years and he just becomes the next Detroit Lions head coach to not really accomplish anything? Yeah. How long do you think he lasts? Two years. I Two just, seasons. I think that that act, Ziggy, you you would know this better having played at a high level in your sport, the highest level. Like that, That's the sort of act that, oh, it's kind of different. I can laugh at it. But the moment you start, or in Detroit's case, continue losing, then you just become this almost caricature, this bozo. Like, and the reason I'm asking is, I don't want to, I don't think you can compare him to John Tortorella, but... If you wanted someone in the hockey world that was, if you, if you, if you did want to make a comparison, I feel like that's who you would compare to the promise. Tortorella has pretty much, he's won every, not won everywhere he's gone, but he's done well, well with won, the teams he's had. Stanley Cup, won a yeah. cup. Won a Stanley yeah. Cup. I'm just saying it's, it was one year. I'm saying he's gone everywhere and turned the organizations around. And I just, I don't know. It's I, I. Who else do you compare him to in the NHL? Like somebody that stands up there on, you know, in front of the mic and will just rip off whatever, right? Biting <laughs> kneecaps, like yeah, the, my taking favorite, arms. My favorite team, the 49ers, are going to Detroit in Week One. Oh. I, I'm not scared of playing the Co- Lions. Cover up your kneecaps. I'm scared about like what's weirdo on the sideline over there. <laughs> Maybe he's got doing cooked it, up. Maybe he's doing the old kind of bait and switch thing he's distracting people away from how bad they are from the train wreck yeah yeah well i mean Uh, two years two years how how long was matt patricia there and he was there for two plus plus, i think or was it as 2020 last i'm trying to think what year it is it's 2021 amazing pandemic brain yeah yeah he got fired in the middle of the 2020 season he started in 2018 so two plus seasons yeah that yeah. sounds that sounds about and the right. players the players hated Matt Patricia yes by the end of it because he brought all of the Belichick aura and yeah. all of the Belichick I don't want to say team first but like Patriots way and had none of the success so then he just became this prison warden yeah in this miserable environment and he had to, nothing to back it up with you have to adapt to the team that you're inheriting and you can't you can't be the Patriots when you're the Lions you just can't. You just can't. And then don't they have like some young wide receiver, St. Brown, that like they had, do they just had their mini camp? Apparently they had a player taught. He got quoted as saying, I'm going to take someone's job. I mean, I just, well, I love I mean, this team so far. I love them. That, that's the attitude you want though, of your guys. It is, in, it, is you know, but maybe, it is. Maybe but, you don't say it out loud. That's the, thing. yeah, that's Hey, I'm all for transparency and guys and good interviews and sound bites and stuff, but I can't imagine what that's like going into the room after I, yeah. or whatever. I know they just had a mini camp and it's not actually official training camp where everybody's around, 
but that's some um, serious confidence out of him. So it's whiteboard <laughs> material. Yeah. Well, I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe he does. It's not like the Detroit Lions are flush with talent. And who among us hasn't dreamt of catching passes from Jared Goff? Jared <laughs> Goff. <laughs> Uh, the uh, text lines are wide open to 590-590. Keep in mind, you, you can bark at Barker starting at 730 for a half an hour. Kevin Barker, uh, the co-host with Jeff Blair of Baseball Central here on Sportsnet 590. The fans so Bark will be along to uh, discuss the Blue Jays, state of Major League Baseball. Uh, we'll open up the phone lines at that point. Uh, so be listening for your cue to call. The text lines are always open and we'll read your questions. Text lines. Uh, Litton up this morning. I don't think Litton is a word, but nope, I just nope, I just said not, it. So doing fine. there going. you go. Uh, I'm doing I'm doing all right this morning. <laughs> you know, you say a word often enough, and it'll be named a word in the dictionary, right? Irregardless, did it not get called formalized? Whatever that means, it's actually, yeah. it's actually not a word. <laughs> no, it's not a word. But I think the dictionary yes. made it one, yeah. didn't it? Because too many people say it. You ain't lying. So we're asking, and Ziggy has said Andre Markov which I think is a great option. That's a name that came to mind for me. I've said Patrick Waugh. We're asking on the text line and on Twitter this morning, if you're a Leafs fan, give us a Habs player you admire, you respect, you like, who's never played for the Leafs, and vice versa. Habs fan, give us a Leafs player you liked and admired, can be current, can be former, who never played for the Habs. Because it's too easy for I already know. Who, I I know who Hugh. What well, does Hugh get? Can Hugh pick a Montreal Canadian? By the way, no, no, he can't because he's uh, a Habs yeah. fan. I know, but I just know who he would pick if he was going to pick a Montreal Canadian. My in this dad, situation. my dad. Oh. And okay. So so okay. so don't, before you, you know, you have to have an answer here, Hugh. Because if, if my father, who hates the Habs more than anybody I've ever met, can come up with a name, and he he's <laughs> he's texted to say Serge Savard, love oh. Serge Savard as a as a, a player, respected Serge Savard then surely you can come up with a Toronto Maple Leaf that you respect. Ugh. All right, here we go. Uh, so this is... Matt Sundin feels too easy, th- by the way. This isn't like... This is just like a grudging respect for... No, no, that's not true. I actually like and respect a lot of Maple Leafs. Matt Sundin, he's the one who came to mind, obviously, right off the top. Um, hell of a nice person as well, away from the game. Um Daryl Sittler, to me, to was me, on the show last week. To awesome. Me, yeah. He and and I've been fortunate enough to do a bunch of charity stuff with Daryl, like golf, like golf tournaments, that that kind of thing. Runs, not that I was running, but you know, walks essentially. Uh, he to me, he is the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs. He is always the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Just he just obviously had the historic ten point night, but he always holds himself at this level where he, he commands respect. Like this is the guy, this is Daryl Sittler. Right. And he rose, he, he, he was forced to rise above so much. Yeah. He played on late in his tenure. Well, just the whole Harold Ballard teams and the, the, the the clash with the owner and just all the crap that he had to go through with this team. And, but to still be able to produce like he did and still be the leader that he was for this team it's Daryl Sittler. Right, and the punch him lack involvement and all of that, yep. too, when he had been brought back and Lanny McDonald getting traded to the... Tearing the sea off Then Colorado Rockies, yeah. and yeah, yeah, it's just... 
So for me, it's Daryl Sittler, but Matt Sundin as, as well. So, yeah. yes, a, not not just a grudging respect, but a genuine admiration. But I think it's fair to say guys. any Habs fan would take Austin Matthews or Mitch Marner on their team right now. No uh, question. But, but the question becomes, if you only could pick one, which player would you take? To me, it'd be Marner. Oh, Ziggy. That's me. That's just, just me. Uh, it's a tough call. It's yeah, a tough it's a, call. It's a really tough call. Yeah. I mean, Austin Matthews was scoring 40 without Marner on his flank. Incredible player. I stand. I just, I, I don't know. I'm going to lean toward the center who scores goals. Mm. And again, I'm not taking anything away from Mitch Marner. Although Mitch Marner's the type of guy who can turn a 25 goal score into a 35 goal yeah. score or a 30 goal score into a 40 goal score. Yeah. Very quiet year he had shadowed by what Matthews did this year. Yeah. It's, he, he doesn't. He doesn't get enough praise for for his game. I, I feel like if you had to ask 100 people to break down what Marner does, I think 90% of them, 95, wouldn't, wouldn't really know what exactly he does on the ice. It's hard. I'm not sure it, you can quantify it with numbers or analytically but you see the put it on paper that, and what he does. Yeah, I, uh, for me, when, I, when I'm trying to break down what a player does, and um, call it the eye test, call it being on the ice for over 800 professional games, call it behind the bench, even though it's, you know, I know it's Canadian University, but coaching there, you look for players to drive offense. And it's a little bit of zone entries and zone exits as well. Um, it has to do with how well a guy plays in areas that players don't want to go to. It has to do with, finding players on the ice, making guys around you better, playing in different situations, and Marner does all of it. And on top of that, he puts points on the board. I don't, you know, power play guy, and he's a penalty killer. I, I still think there's more there to his game. I know you're going to say, well, this is one of the best players in the league, and he kills, and he does, but Marner for me, and I said this the last couple of years about Matthews, Matthews still has oh, has more more to give. He's got another gear to go, and he found that this year. Is Matthews done? I don't think so. I think there's more of a physical element to his game that he can dominate in a way that Eric Linross dominated. It depends if he wants to go out and do that. And if you've never really played like that, it's very hard to add that aspect to your game, and he may not never get there. And that has nothing to do about him as a hockey player or as a person. That's just, it's a it's a way you play growing up. I, I got to play with Raph. You guys all know Rafi Torres, and how physical he played the game. Rafi Torres played that game as a, as a nine-year-old, obviously without the hitting back then hitting didn't come until th 12, 13, but he played the same way in the NHL. He played his whole life, go to the net hard, play hard in the, in the tough areas on the ice. And when hitting started, he would hit everything in sight. And he was, it was the same game. And if yeah, uh, the same thing with Matthews, can he add that element to his game? I, I don't know. Like the way Eric Linaros was dominant in the NHL, obviously they're kind of not the same players, right? Linaros would bulldoze you over and, and find a way and almost will pucks into the net. And we all saw how dominant his was, he was, especially his first years in the league. Matthews kind of picks you apart, gets in the right areas. will find different ways to score. Obviously one of the greatest shots of all time. And I know we all started this conversation off with Marner and Marner. I still think there's more to give there, right? There's more. He's got another, he's got another gear to go where, um, 
I, I know it's hard to see because he's he he's been so good early in his career. Um, I just think he he's got a, he's got one more year to go, and and when that happens, it'll be it will be McKinnon scary if he can get to that point. Bruins get an overtime victory in Washington last night. Carolina off to a good start at home against Nashville and Colorado. I guess I would say in terms of the seven playoff games that have been played, Colorado controlled oh, the St. Louis Blues more so than any team had its opponent to this point. The two games, Boston-Washington, have been extra time. Deals have been hotly contested. Nashville-Carolina ended up 5-2 Carolina, but it was 2-2 after two. Yeah. And then Carolina pulled away. Man, those Hurricanes, nobody's – I mean, maybe, they're, maybe they've been paying attention to them in the uh, down on Tobacco Road, but – I've heard people say they're the best team in the league. Well – And no, one, no one's talking about them. Like, they couldn't yeah, – they got Aho and Svechnikov. And, <laughs> yeah, really? but, yeah. you know, it, so much of the focus around the Carolina Hurricanes the last couple of years have been on the, has been on the ownership change. And the fact that Don Waddell – and you're saying, who's Don Waddell? Like, go back and read the history of the Atlanta Thrashers. Mm -hmm. Like, not the Winnipeg Jets, the Atlanta Thrashers. That team just never figured it out. Nope. It had Kovalchuk and tried to fit pieces around him, but it, it never got anything going. Waddell run, ran those teams. And it was presumed that Waddell got the job in Carolina because he hung around long enough and was willing to work for a specific number. Yeah, like Tom Dundon, the owner of the team who took over a few years ago, isn't into paying guys very much. No, Rod Brindamore, I think, was making like four hundred G's mm. on his first contract as head coach, and yet they've done a really good job of drafting, of developing, of of adding in free agency and and making some shrewd trades. They're as good a team in the, as there is in the league right now. Yeah, yeah, and they fly so far under the radar in. Well, not not only here, but I'm sure most places in the U.S. And they only really come out yeah. onto the radar in their own area yeah. once college basketball season yeah. is over. Yeah. Duke, North Carolina, NC State, Wake Forest, all of them. Yeah, I heard you guys talking about the atmosphere there earlier, and I, I can attest to that. It is it is something else. The tailgating starts early, and it goes late. and It's, it, it's actually it's a fun hockey atmosphere. It's not a traditional hockey well, atmosphere. The Leafs were there 19 years ago. Fun. Yeah, they yeah. were there 19 years ago in the Eastern Conference yeah. Final, 2002. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 12,000 fans last night. More of that, please. Well, Ziggy and I... Holy jeez, that was Ziggy amazing. and I were saying like 12,000 fans... If this was a normal time, like pandemic hadn't yep. happened, and a team drew 12,000 people to a playoff playoffs. game, yeah. we'd be crapping all yeah. over that. Fan base doesn't care. And now we're looking at 12,000 people seeing the energy come through the TV, and we're saying, holy crap. Yeah. Like, it's amazing how our perspective has changed. We, we've, on. And you guys were talking about it earlier. We, we've forgotten what that means, what that crowd, the real crowd noise, not the stuff that they're pumping in now but the real crowd reaction the visceral response to what's happening on the ice we forget how much that means not only to the players on the ice but for those of us watching at home that gets us pumped up too and the crowd's going going crazy they had i believe they had eight or ten thousand in vegas for the for the first game there and the, the crowd was great 
They have 5,300 in Washington, yeah. and it feels like... Yeah. feels like 53,000. Yeah. yeah. Like, like a fuller building. Just it, I mean, so happy for Leafs and Habs, but it's not going to be the same. It's not. John, yeah, well, yeah. go ahead, Zig. Yeah, no, I, I you you guys are mentioning the, the crowd in Carolina and how good they've been this year and what Rod Brendamore has done. Um, he put, apparently, Rod Brendamore was there for some coaching clinic guest appearance, and uh, I don't even know the name of the site that put it on, and so they had all these coaches in there, not minor league or aspiring coaches. There was like a bunch of pro-level coaches in the room, um, about 20 of them, and and the facilitator, whoever's putting it on, had Brendamore there as kind of the guest speaker, and they finished with Rod Brendamore with a couple were set. I don't know if you remember when he won it back in, in 2006 and the look on his face and what he's gone through in his career. And I was lucky enough to play with Rod in, in Carolina for a couple of years. Great teammate would always help me out anything I needed uh, just the true pro on the ice. And at the end of the seminar, Brendamore kind of steps up and you're expecting this long, you know, you know, you, you, conversation where inspirational quotes and stuff. And he pretty much just got up and the picture was him on, of him on the, on the projector and just said, if you're not here to do that, get the bleep out of the game. And that was kind of how he ended. He didn't give all my experiences, all oh, the cup and my career was such, was so tough. And I went through lots of up and he didn't do any of that. He just says, if you're not here to do that, get out of it. And the way they play is so high tempo that we've been talking about them for a number of years. This isn't just some team that, that started to play well. We've, we've talked when we were comparing Carolina to Toronto the last couple of years on the show, Scotty, like how many times have I said, if they had a little bit, more of the hurricanes in them have a little bit more of that. Like if what, what McKayev does on the ice, if players play with a little bit more of that, how much, how much different would this team look? And the thing for me with the Canes is that like outside of Sebastian Ajo, they roll four lines. Jordan Stahl had two goals in the game was all over the ice, played 15 minutes. He took 26 draws and four hits, and he only played 15 minutes. So they spread out the time. When you want to, if you're going to play that high tempo, you need four lines. And this this Hurricanes team is built a lot different than the current Maple Leaf team. And it's 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 a difference in philosophy. It's also a difference in where your team and where your organization is at. I, I don't think it's something where you say, "Oh, Hurricanes look good," or uh, you know, Tampa Bay looks good. Let's just, we'll copy that. I, it's, it's not that easy. So what Rod's done there and with the hurricanes and what they've developed there with, um, with, with Waddell and don't forget Justin Williams as well. Right. He's there as a, as an advisor right now and friend of the show, friend of the show. So <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's on their management team now. So they have a good mix and, um, yeah, I'm. They're they're one of the teams that I don't know how you don't make them a favorite to win the Stanley Cup. It's just it's a it's like where they are. They're the they're literally like the Toronto Raptors of the like of the NBA. It's like that's the same. Yeah, and it's reputation and it's no one takes them Carolina serious. They only takes right. the Raptors serious. Hurricanes won a cup. People still don't take them serious. Like it's just it's part of the markets and where you are. 
Well, they looked really good in the third period last night. And and I think, I mean, Nashville was in a dogfight all all year to get into the playoffs. And and they had to play a really good second half of the season to get there. I, I think Soros was great. Yeah. Soros and that, well, yeah. one, of the be- what, like one of the best. Right. Like uh, he's up there with Hellebuck for me. Right. And it's still, talk about goaltenders. And it still yeah. didn't translate. It still didn't translate into a victory. I, I feel like that series could be quick. Uh, I'm more than willing to be wrong, but I, I feel like it, it, it could be quick. And we'll um, we'll see how Carolina fares going forward. They certainly look like one of the best teams in the NHL, and they that played out all season long, no question about it. Kevin Barker uh, on the state of the Blue Jays. So they are twenty two and seventeen, and yes, they're a game and a half back of Boston for first place in the AL East. But look at the loss column: the Jays and the Red Sox have the same number of losses. The Jays have just played three fewer games. It's a big three game series starting in Dunedin tonight, and then Tampa Bay comes in for four starting on Friday. Seven consecutive divisional games against two teams right around you in the standings and a bullpen that seems to be hanging on, threaded together with chicken wire and duct tape. The cracks started to show against the Phillies. Legit reason to be concerned or much ado about nothing? Kevin Barker on that topic. The phone lines will open as well. 416-870-0590. If you want to bark at Barker, you got a question, you got a comment. 416-870-0590. We'll take your text as well to 590-590. Kevin Barker for the half hour next. NHL 03, something like that. I had, I think I had it for PlayStation or PlayStation 2. This this song makes me think of that back in my uh, half-assed gamer days. All right, Ziggy, are you are you ready for this? By the way, we're getting a ton of texts about hot dogs and toppings. Oh, gosh. So you started with no, your relish? No, see what you started. You said relish. Well, you were the one going on about weird toppings and stuff like Honestly, that. Honestly, I was just about... thinking about going to a baseball game and and the food and the dog. You know, you smell the hot dogs and the nachos and the pop popcorn or whatever you smell at a game. The beer, like it's just you. you wish how the about, Jakes were back home. How right about now. this from a five one nine number? KD with hot dogs, but use the hot dog water to cook the KD. Hashtag well, hot dog some, stock. That's some that's, serious work. That is hot dog broth <laughs> right there. <laughs> Get it into me. Okay. So we've been trying to find common ground between Leafs and Habs fans. I I think it's a human impossibility. There's none. Right. Leafs people are good. Habs people not so good. You know, stuff like that. The apologies to Hugh Burrell, who's over there listening in right now. We're going to extend that test to one of the bigger Leafs fans we know, and we're going to extend that test to one of the bigger Habs fans we know, and we're going to bring them together and see if they can be civil to each other. We have created entrances for both, so let's begin with the baby face, the good guy in this equation. He is diehard Toronto Maple Leafs fan. He is YouTuber extraordinaire. You know him from all the Sportsnet platforms. Here is Stone Cold Steve Dangle. Hell yeah. 
I love it. I've never had this intro. I love it. <laughs> now, if 18,000 people were actually allowed in a building dangle, they'd be they'd be screaming for you. They, the, the roof would blow off the place. Now I'm let's, holding up a, a middle finger the wrong way. Just like <laughs> <laughs> now let's introduce your opponent from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. I don't know how much he weighs, uh, but he is evil and a little clownish because he's a Habs fan. Andrew Berkshire. Boo. Oh, yeah, we dug up the old evil doink the clown music for this one. All right, Berkshire, you're walking into enemy territory. How are you guys doing? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't know how to take that yeah. one. <laughs> Jeez, uh, what the hell did uh, I walk into? What the hell did I walk into? All right, oh, man. You and Dangle know each other pretty well. Uh, you you spar online every now and then. We're aiming to find some peace uh, between the two sides here. So, Dangle, I'm I'm going to challenge you first, and then Andrew will get to you after. I threw it out on Twitter yesterday. The the rule is this: you cannot select a player who's played for both teams. Dangle, diehard Leafs fan. Give me the name of a Montreal Canadian, past or present, someone who's never skated for the Leafs, who you respect and or begrudgingly respect and why. Uh, I guess I both respect and begrudgingly respect uh, Brendan Gallagher. Um, just a guy who F you is in his veins. Um, and it's been that way. Ever since junior, I want to say he was like a fifth-round pick. And you talk about the sort of guy who would be absolutely adored in the city of Toronto. The way he battles, the way he's a nuisance, the way you would never want to go up against him if you had the option of having him on your team. I mean, the Leafs will happily crush him, I'm sure. But let's, let's admire the guy's uh, wicked NHL career and leadership skills. Brendan Gallagher is a he's a great player. What can I say? All right, and Andrew, throw out a Leaf who's never played for the Habs, who you of course, admire. Of course, Dangle picks an AHLer, Laval Rocket legend, <laughs> Brendan Gallagher. Uh, I can go with Austin Matthews. How many people in their frigging careers have scored multiple goals where they juggle the puck in the air through the neutral zone, and then deke out like four people against the same team, like? The guy is a mutant. It's ridiculous. You, you can't not respect that guy if you watch him play one time. So I want to know what you guys are expecting from each of your teams. Dangle, I guess we can start with you. What kind of, what are you, what are you looking for to start the series on Thursday and, and give, give me uh give us a prediction. Uh, let's, let's go with something real simple. Allow fewer than three goals. Uh, I okay. think, we all, we all know the Leafs can score, um, and we know they're tougher this year. That, that's been a, a, you know, a, a big, uh, big storyline with this team. But tougher does not necessarily mean <laughs> you're a better hockey team and also you're going to allow fewer goals. There are some bad hockey teams who get into a lot of fights. So we've got to see if the Leafs are a better prepared team defensively this year than they have been in the playoffs in years past. Andrew? 
Uh, I think the, the main thing that I'm looking for is what happens in game one, because I think game one determines this series. If the Leafs win, especially if they win and look good, I think it's over pretty quickly. But if the Canadians pull out a surprise win in the first game and say like Carey Price plays really, really well, I think the screws start turning in the Leafs' brains that, oh, no, not again, and then it's a series, and it goes all the way to seven. And I think that's everything is determined by that first game. But I think no matter what, the Leafs have this. I think it's either going to be over in seven or it's going to be over in like four or five. Yeah, I mean, I I, I get like this every now and then. Like I cheer for the Leafs, so I, I've been pretty public about that. And, and there's no question I'm rooting for them in, in this series and all the way through the playoffs for however long they go. I, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but but every now and then when you get overly confident... It, it's almost as if you start coming up with excuses to try to pull yourself back in. I don't know if it's a defense mechanism against disappointment. Like, I remember going on Good Show and J.D. Bunkus asking me the question right before the NFC Championship game in January of 2020, the night 2019 NFL season. I'm a huge 49ers fan. He said, so how, how do you think the Niners are going to do against Green Bay? And I said, they're going to cover and it's, and, and it's not going to be a problem. Like, I, I just didn't see a way the Niners would lose that game. And sure enough, they went out and smoked Green Bay. And I was trying to convince myself that there were ways they could lose this series. I hear you, Andrew, and, and Dangle, you factor in on this. Like, Carey Price could be the differentiator, except that he, he's played two periods for the Laval Rocket in the last, what, month plus. And while the Leafs have goaltending questions, like can Jack Campbell do it? And if he can't, what is Freddie Anderson does if he needs to draw in? I, I, I look at the talent gap between these two teams, especially at the top. I know Toffoli and certain guys have had really nice seasons. Like the Leafs, the Leafs should should take this series relatively quickly, in my opinion. Tell me I'm wrong, Dangle. Bring me back to Earth. Well, I, I think uh, you're getting towards something that my therapist and I often talk about, which is irrational fears. <laughs> and the the problem with uh, with the Leafs is uh, they they provide um, uh, rationale to all of your fears. Like, hey, what what evidence is there that the bad thing will happen? Uh, oh, I don't know about half a century. Like, what, what what are you talking about? There's half a century's worth, but. What I keep saying, because I've actually gotten a few messages recently from people who just started watching the Leafs this year, and they're jacked about this year's playoffs because they don't have the mental scar tissue. All they see is what's in front of them. A team that beat the Habs seven out of ten times, that finished first in the division, and there's no reason for them to lose. What do you guys think is going to happen in net for, and I, I know there's kind of controversy on, in, on both sides. Um, Andrew, if, well, we can start with you with the Habs. What like is carry price. Do you run with carry price now to start game one and you just keep going with them until he falters? Um, or do you kind of see how it is? Maybe play carry price in game one. If he feels healthy and feels good enough to go in there. And then you kind of come back with Allen. What? How? How do you want to see the goaltending situation start uh, with Montreal? I can't envision a scenario where Carey Price isn't starting all the games. He would have to be truly awful uh, to like his worst point over the last several years uh, to to get Jake Allen in there. Not to slight Jake Allen. It's just that this organization has committed so much to Carey Price. They believe so much in him. 
even to a fault. Uh, I, I just can't see it. And I think Price has proved over the last several years when they actually do get a chance to play important games that he does show up. So it would be very, very unlikely. And the same on the Toronto side. I just don't see a scenario where Jack Campbell isn't the guy. He's proven it all season long. Freddie's just had his struggles. And I, I think, you know, th- this is the end of the line for Freddie as a Maple Leaf, right? He had his good years, uh, but I think this is just not the direction that they're going. I think while there may be controversy from a fan perspective, I think both organizations are very clear in what they're going to do. And Danko, where are you at with with Campbell right now? Uh, he's he's the starter, man. Like okay. even if he were even if he were to falter, um, mm-hmm. I think we're talking like a later in the series thing. So he'll get game one and two. If he's not good, you know, maybe you talk about him and Freddie splitting game three and four. And then, I mean, <laughs> if the goaltending doesn't look good by then, I mean, the series might be over. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would imagine, I would imagine he's going to be the starter for at least this entire series. I mean, it really is something, guys. Uh, Dangle first to you, and then Andrew, you can chime in. I, uh, barring the unforeseen, Frederick Anderson will leave having never won a playoff series with this team, and that doesn't all land at his feet. I understand that. But it certainly was not what he nor the organization envisioned when it gave him the five-year contract half a decade ago. No, but I I, I like that little Ninja Turtles meme that's that's making its way uh, across Twitter. Like he he's he's the the sort of sensei who who helped this team uh, grow. Like that that 2017 team didn't have a prayer without this guy. And I think making the playoffs in all their first seasons in the NHL, their first full seasons, Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Hyman, you know, keep, keep it going. Uh, I, I think that sort of set the tone for this team, even though they haven't experienced playoff success, they've been there um, for half a decade straight. And I think, I think that's all on Freddie more than anybody else. Anybody who scored 40 goals or had, you know, 90 assists or whatever, they, they got stops on a on what was a pretty uh, let's say developing defensive team um and you know you don't get to to pick when it's your time as the backup and and let's also be honest goalies are voodoo you you never know like he could win the con smite (laughs) sure Mm -hmm. andrew uh, a thought on anderson uh, I, I think it's it's unfair a little bit the way that he gets like things get put on him. I think the worst thing that could have happened to the Leafs' expectations over the last several years was that they took Boston to seven games that first series, not in 2013, but the the one after that when they really didn't deserve to. And I, I think it put on the the idea that the Leafs were like favored or expected to win most of those series. And like every series the Leafs have lost, they've kind of been labeled chokers. The only one that they actually should have won was against Columbus. And they got goalied ridiculously. It was only a five game series, not a seven game series. If it was a seven game series, they might've still won. You never know. Right. Plus it was coming out of that long layoff. There's a heck of a lot of asterisks there. I think that this Toronto Maple Leafs team and Anderson in particular, you know, gets the blame for it. But this Toronto Maple Leafs team gets an unfair label as playoff chokers, and I know it's because the past history of the team and the collective trauma of the fan base of, you know, always thinking it's going to be your year, and then it gets dashed immediately. But 
this team is very good. And I think that they're a little bit different this year. They have a lot more swagger in their step. Uh, just watching them play every game. I think this is a very dangerous team and we're going to see it this year. All right, Andrew. And then uh, dangle on the way out the door. Last one for you. Bit of a twist on the prediction game. Does the winner of this series, Andrew, you first, does the winner of this series advance to the final four? Yes. Dangle. Hell yes, because I'm stone cold. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's going to be the Leafs. Uh. We trust. Thanks, boys, for doing this. Always fun. And uh, who knows? Maybe we'll call you in a week when we're in the middle of all this in full-fledged panic and, and see how it's going. Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. You bet. Steve see Dangle. You, see you, Scott, Ziggy, and Doink. <laughs> you bet. Steve Dangle, Leafs YouTuber. You see him all over the Sportsnet platforms. Andrew Berkshire writes for the Montreal Gazette and is the co-host of the Crosscheck NHL show. And we are back at it tomorrow morning. Uh, and then Verk will weigh in on the Maple Leafs playoff mm. situation. Uh, we'll have Dan Schulman to talk a little Blue Jays. And I think tomorrow, Ziggy, we did it. The Hab you love the most. If you're a Leafs fan or the Leaf you love the most, if Uh-oh, you're a Habs fan. I know it's coming. <laughs> I think we're turning the screws tomorrow as we I get closer to game one. This one this one will be a lot easier. We got uh, yes, a lot of responses lot today. Fun. That and about the hot dog <laughs> toppings. That's what drove the text today. Tomorrow, we're turning up the crank on the hate because tomorrow <laughs> will be one sleep away. Uh, it's going to be sunny. It's going to be warm. The weather is great this week. It's playoff hockey time. Enjoy your Tuesday. Good shows next. We're back at 6 tomorrow. Bop, bop, bop. So good.